0: Hi, everybody. It is 2 p.m. Oh, my God, we're starting on time. We're starting on time. Can you believe it? No, no, I can't believe it either. Uh, We're just starting late in Auckland. So I hope you're doing very well. And um, it's the show. Uh, We've got two hours to talk philosophy, whatever is on your mind, comments, issues, questions, criticisms. I would like to thank those who've stepped up to help with the documentary. It is a blazing along at a full tilt disco ball boogie. And I'm um, very excited, very excited. So it's going to be very, very cool. I can't wait to dig in. And I hope that you're having a wonderful week. I hope you're having a great 2012. And I certainly am. And I wish to share you uh, with you all of the blessings and happinesses of philosophy, if I can use the word blessings in its loosest possible context, since I often use myself in my loosest possible context. So... I don't have much of an intro. Um, so it's 2.01. I believe that I'm done. Don't forget to donate if you like the show. to Help spread the word of philosophy. Eight million media views last year. It is truly the philosophy that strides, bestrides the world like a colossus. And that is very cool. Release date? I don't really know what the release date is since I've never done anything quite this ambitious before. At least in a media sense. So I'm not sure when the release date is going to be. I hope. I hope we can get it done by by the summer, because I think it's a pretty key year. So James, do we got some people with the brain food? Hello? We have one person on now. Hi, how you doing?
1: Uh, hi. Uh, can you just give me one moment? I'm just leaving my house at the moment.
0: Sure. I mean, there's no reason to think we've started on time. I mean, why would you? (laughs) That makes sense. Hello, Seth? Hi.
1: Hi, uh, so I've been meaning to call you for a while now, uh, I've just been meaning to talk to you about, uh, something that's been bothering me for a while now, uh, well, uh, uh, since I was about 12, I, uh, have been experiencing kind of like, uh, a, like a depression and anxiety, and, uh, i just been to talk to someone about it.
2: Right,
0: right. Well, uh, I'm certainly no psychologist and have no training, but I can perhaps throw a few useful philosophical principles your way. Uh, do you have any idea why this may have started at around the age of 12?
1: Uh, well, it was the time I hit puberty, I guess. And uh, I don't know, I've just been feeling like it's kind of like heavy, like feeling in my chest. Like, since so then, it's been like, I don't know, it's like five years now, I'm like, I'm about to turn 17.
0: And did it uh, start suddenly or did it start slowly?
1: Uh, I, I, I think it's just all of a sudden, like one day. I don't know, around like grade 7, I just had this like, this like I don't know, heavy down feeling. And it's been kind of like progressing for a while now have you uh, talked
0: to uh, have you talked to anyone about this like a professional no I haven't okay I mean I, I obviously you should I think uh, and you know I think right. you should I'm I'm not a big fan of, of meds but I'm a huge fan of talk of talk therapy so I will you know share a few idiot amateur thoughts with you but you know what you should get out of this in my opinion is and you can probably get these resources for free through your uh, school, if I've done my math correctly in my head, um, but uh, I can throw a few ideas your way. But uh, you know, talk therapy, uh, I think, with a great, with a good therapist, is really, uh, really worthwhile. So let me. Uh, so yeah, I'll throw a few thoughts your way, and hopefully that will be of some use. And uh, okay. hopefully you will follow up with uh, somebody who knows what they're doing. Okay. Okay.
1: All
0: right. So, uh, is it around dating? Is it around? sex? Is it around Can romance? anybody hear me? Uh, yeah, sorry, I'm just, sorry? Uh, if you can hang tight, we're just talking to somebody else. I'm sorry? Yeah, uh, did you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay, so um, if it's around puberty, then it may have something to do with, with sex or dating or girls or romance or something like that. Okay. Uh, do you think um, that may have anything to do with it?
1: Yeah. I don't know uh it's kind of difficult to explain, cause, uh I think it has to do with uh, my parents mhm, but I've like i don't know they they aren't really like close, you could say,
0: so uh, you mean to each other or to you or or both
1: uh like more of both yeah
0: and uh what does that mean? How does that look like? What does that look like when you say they're not close
1: well, uh I don't know. <laughs> uh my mom is more close to me than my dad or you could say we still live together but uh, uh my dad's not very close to me and uh my mom for that matter
0: right and um, uh how how would how, how does that look what does that look like when you say he's not not close
1: well uh like he's he's not uh very like i i don't know how to explain it but he's not very like emotional emotionally attached Mm-hmm. Kind of like he—he's a very like angry person, you could say.
0: Right. Like, um, what does that look like?
1: I—he's uh, not physically abusive, but he's very verbally
0: abusive. And uh, what does that look like? What what's uh what does that sound like?
1: Uh, well, it's it's kind of like um, there's a lot of like screaming, a lot of arguing, you could say. Uh between uh, him and my mom and uh, uh, him and myself. Right.
0: right, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry. That is not how it's supposed to go, and you deserve, I wouldn't even say you deserve better, because that's not even good, but you deserve to not have that in your life, and I'm so sorry that it is. And what, uh, what are the conflicts about?
1: Uh, really, I don't know, it's usually just minor stuff. He just, I don't know, like, I, I feel like he purposely tries to get into, like, arguments, like, over, like, minor stuff, like, I don't know, like, I'd forget to, like, uh, close the door or something like that, and he would, like, call me an idiot, and, uh,
0: uh, yeah. All right, right. I mean, I'll tell you, I don't want to make this about me, but I just want to make sure that, you know, if my experiences are all similar to yours, that, that can be helpful. Um Okay. I would be aware when my mom would come home uh, sometimes, and she'd had a bad day, that she would be yeah. like it would be like a bubbling cauldron, uh, and, and she'd be moving around the house, and I could sort of I get the sense of her, even if I couldn't see her, she'd be moving around the house like a shark. and I'd know that she'd be looking for something, something, to uh, uh, unload on. Right. And, you know, because I was a kid, there was always something. You know, there was a sock here. There was a cup left out there. There was, you know, something, right? Yeah. And it would turn into this – sorry. It would sort of turn into this fencing match, it felt like, where she would try to find something to pin on me and I would try and dodge it. Oh. Because she needed a, quote, justification for blowing up. And so that's the way that it would go. And so she'd try this thing and I'd like dodge it and say, well, no, it's not this. And she said, well, did you have this ready? Yes, this. Or did you have that ready or whatever? And, uh, you, know, if, you know, if all else failed, she'd just, she could just bring something up from the past and claim she was still mad about it, even though we talked about it or had supposedly resolved it before. But it was kind of like there was, you know, she just needed a justification to hang her Temper on, and then she could u- offload and feel like it was somehow justified. Uh, again, I don't want to make right. my experience your experience. Does that make any sense?
1: It, it does. Yes.
0: And that is a uh, very stressful situation to be in.
1: Yeah, it's. It's. I would say I can like relate to that. Um, when I'd be around my dad, it was usually like I would be like in this like hyper. Kind of like sensitive, like hate where I have to wa- watch like every action I do, right? Kind of thing, and like, cause uh, I'd have to like watch what I say. I'd have to like watch what I'm doing, cause it's like I I don't know. I I do something in the wrong way, or I say something. I don't know anything. He, he'd like uh, he'd like call me an idiot, or you know, scream at me, or yeah, something like that.
0: Now, I, I, of course, tried the option of just going out. I mean, I spent a good chunk of my childhood just wandering the streets because I didn't want to be home. Uh, but um, but that was also a problem because then I would be accused of treating this place like a hotel and not having any concern for her. And then it would be like if I tried to leave, that turned out to be the excuse that she could use to dump on me.
1: Yeah, like right now, I had to... I, re- I really wanted to talk to you, but I couldn't talk to you at home because uh, my dad's unemployed, mm. so he's uh, he right he at home. I, re- I really wanted to talk to you.
0: I'm sorry, if you're listening in, if you could mute. Yeah, look, that's a, that is a very tough situation that is very stressful. And um, it doesn't sound to me like it's um, likely to change anytime soon. And certainly it seems to be a pretty impossible task to attempt to parent our own parents, particularly if they're taking a very authoritarian approach to their parenting. So but, but right. of course these things do have, you know, huge effects on the personality, on your assertiveness—I uh, mean, I imagine that it does not make you feel overly confident in the world, and authority figures can be no. a challenge. And in conflict, you tend to have—you may tend to have—sort of a, a very strong reaction to conflict, sort of out of proportion to to what is actually.
1: Uh, uh, I, don't, I don't know. Yeah, I guess so. I, I'm I'm not really like the like the guy to try to get into confrontations. No, so, like, I try to, like, usually, I don't know, back out, not really uh, be the up-front man type of thing.
0: Right, 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 right. Now, did anything, um, I mean, other than, than puberty, of course, which is a big change, but did anything change with you when you were about the age of 12? Did anything change in your environment? Uh, or do you think it was mostly just the fact that puberty hit and you're sort of becoming an adult? But in some ways, of course, if you're being... Yelled at and called an idiot and so on, then you're not exactly right. being groomed for adulthood, right?
1: Yeah, uh, I, I, anything changed? Well, I I just started grade seven. I guess I don't know. I felt like, and I, I guess I uh, it's kind of embarrassing to say, but I like I I started masturbating,
0: and uh, I don't know. It just the Are whole like the that you waited stage. until grade seven to start. That's amazing. That's a superhuman willpower. Yeah. I mean, I guess you didn't want the hairy palms until you had the hairy chin. I understand.
1: And, I don't know, Just uh, I just started getting this, like, really heavy, like, feeling. I became it became really, like, nihilistic, you could say. Sure. sure. And, uh, I don't know, it was just, it, it, I don't, like, really remember, because it was, like, about, like, almost five years ago. But, uh, yeah, it was not a good time in my life. Oh,
0: uh, yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, I, I look. I, I obviously I, I can't tell you anything in particular uh, because, you know, I'm I'm just a guy on the internet. But I can tell you some thoughts that I've had uh, in my life about this kind of stuff, and that's this. Hopefully, the best that I can offer you. Hopefully, it's not too too useless. So, so feel free <laughs> to get comfortable. I'll give you I'll give you a few minutes thoughts, and and hopefully they will be of some help to you. Okay. So, so here's a challenge, right? And I'm sort of aware of this in my own parenting uh, or in my co-parenting with my wife, of course. I mean, obviously I want my daughter to grow up and to get married and, you know, if she wants and and have kids of her own and and all that because I'd love to be a grandparent because I think it's conceivable to spoil a child more than I'm spoiling Isabella. And I'd like to test that theory. I'm not sure how I'd be able to do it, but (laughs) that is the theory. And I'm sort of aware that... My marriage to my wife is sort of like an advertisement to my kids about marriage or to, to, to my daughter about marriage. So if I want her to get married, I mean, it's not like I'm faking anything, but it's sort of real. Like So if, I, if, if I'm saying, well, I want her to get married or I want her to have kids, but my experience of being married and having kids is kind of negative, then it's really tough to, to make that pitch, right? Right. It's like, uh, here, this sandwich tastes like crap. You want some? (laughs) Right? It doesn't really really work. It really hurts when I work out like this. Now, you follow me. (laughs) You'll get shin splints for sure. And so one of the challenges, I think, that happens – because puberty is sex, right? I mean, puberty is your body at least getting geared up to spread your seed and all that kind of stuff, right? And I think one of the challenges is if the people in your life, if your parents – don't seem to be having much fun as parents, don't seem to really enjoy being married, don't seem to be really happy themselves, then your body is saying, let's go spread us some seeds, let's go make us some babies. But your mind is saying like, well, that looks like crap, <laughs> right? Yeah. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. It does. You know, there's uh, in, in Shrek 3, uh, which is a philosophy book by some children's writer, um, <laughs> Shrek the Third, um his wife says, you know, you're you're pregnant or whatever, and basically the cat says, you are royally screwed. <laughs> uh, because there's this theory, you know, this idea, you know, when you get married and, and you sort of – it was great being a single guy. I mean, that's why you have this bacchanalian orgy, uh, <laughs> you know, of, of the bachelor party right before you get married. Uh, maybe to give you something to look back on with regret. I don't know. But, right, right. But people get married, and then people have kids, and there are all these jokes about, well, it's terrible, but it's fun. You know, oh, my, no sleep, and, and kids are tough, and there's lots of fights. I yell at my kids all the time, but it's the greatest thing in the world, right? <laughs> right? And that's, okay. of course, kind of contradictory. And so I think that there's a real challenge in our minds – when our bodies are saying, "Let's go have, let's go settle down and have some kids," now, of course, I'm not saying anyone does that in grade seven, but that's sort of what your biology is starting, right? That's why you get the, you know, masturbation and and, uh, if I remember rightly, constant sexual fantasizing, and if I remember rightly, not wanting to go out on a diving board in my speedos because there were girls around in bathing suits and you couldn't whack down that boner with a ball peen hammer so so yes I, I I am not so old as to not remember all of that exciting stuff where I really felt um you know like a dowser holds those twigs out and points their way to water. Uh, I really felt that my um, penis was doing that pretty much to almost any fertile female in the vicinity. Uh, I was leading uh <laughs> with the uh the wee head anyway, so so, your body's saying, let's go, you know, settle down, have kids, and whatever, right? But at the same time, you're like, well, that looks like a whole lot of not fun, right? Right. So, I think that's really challenging. And I think that's a real contradiction. Now, of course, you don't have to have a marriage like your parents have, you don't have to be a dad like your dad is. And that's yeah. that's a tough transition to make. But your desire, your sort of the biological desire to, to procreate and all of that and you know, obviously I <laughs> you're not gonna do it now and you're not gonna do it for a while, but but it doesn't have to lead to where your parents are.
1: Okay. No, I, I understand that, but I feel like If I'm ever gonna uh, get married or you know have kids, that I just like I would like turn like my father, like become like my father, and
0: uh, yeah, you don't have to. I don't know. No, you don't have to. You don't have to. Um, let me give you a tiny analogy. I mean, obviously, there's a tendency that way, but it doesn't have to be that way. Um, like if your dad, I don't know, let's say he, he grew up in Romania and he came over to the country speaking Romanian, you wouldn't have to grow up only speaking Romanian, right? You could learn English, yeah. Right. right. Right, right. So you can learn a new language that's different. And that doesn't mean that you you know, you never it'll never be like you learned Romanian. But you can learn a different language. You can be a different father. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, you can be a different father. And look, I could have every I could have every conceivable excuse in the world to be a bad father. Or to be no father. I mean I up right. without a dad. There's huge amounts of violence and instability and brutality and teasing and verbal abuse and I mean just monstrous stuff within my own family I would have every excuse in the world to be a bad father if I wanted those excuses right or if I wanted to justify actions but that's not the case yeah. my goal is to be the best dad in the world I don't know <laughs> I'm not, I have mean, no way to measure it doesn't really matter if I achieve it but that's the goal. You can make changes now. It takes work, right? To learn a new language it takes work, and it takes time, and it takes practice, it takes discipline. But you can do
1: a lot, it. A lot of years in therapy, I
0: guess. Yeah, you can do it that way. Uh, that that's worth it. But that's well worth it. You know, if you think uh, if you think therapy is expensive, try divorce. Right.
1: I just like like right now. I'm I'm still living with my parents. Right. I have nowhere. I I can't, like, live on my own. I don't have, like, I don't know, uh, thousands of dollars to, like, go to therapy, so...
0: Well, okay, and you can can talk to a counselor through your school. You may be able to get some therapy through that way. So, I mean, there's there's options and alternatives. I mean, but you don't necessarily, I mean, there's lots of things you can do. There are workbooks by John Bradshaw, by Nathaniel Brandon, but you can get these from the library. You can photocopy them. That only costs a little bit of money. You can work through the workbooks. You can keep a journal. You can write down your dreams. You can hopefully find some friends that you can talk about self-knowledge with. There's lots of great things that you can do.
1: All right.
0: That will help you in that direction. And you can, okay. uh, you know, talk to people on the message board who've got experience with that. They may be able to give you more tips. i certainly know I don't hold any monopoly on knowledge in this area. But there's lots of things you can read. Parenting books. I mean, I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know, I read, um, I read books about parenting when I was in my mid-teens. I read books about divorce when I was in my mid-teens. I was just, I remember reading a book called "Made in Heaven, Settled in Court," <laughs> which was all about these, you know, fairly twisted strategies to quote win your divorce. Uh, I was just really curious. About it. And of course, that was my way. I mean, I had to prepare for adulthood in very oblique ways, very roundabout ways. I mean, I learned how to shave by reading a really old magazine article. Right. And uh, I sort of tried to learn about good parenting. And you can read up on this kind of stuff. And that's really useful. And that's useful. Even if you don't end up being a parent, it's still really useful to read up on good parenting so you can see what you got and what you didn't get as a kid yourself. Which will help you in all your relationships, right? Right. Nice. Uh, somebody has given um, a link here called myshrink.com forward slash online dash crisis dash counseling dot php offers free counseling links and info. So again, this is a, a uh, an important uh, step and decision to make. But okay. you can you can change it. You are not you are not doomed to be a photocopy.
1: Nice Okay. Thanks a lot.
0: (laughs) You're very welcome. And, you know, again, big sympathies and uh, I wish you the very best.
1: All right. All right. Thanks. I'll I'll keep you posted. Thanks, man. Okay. Bye. Bye bye.
3: Michael, you're up next.
4: Hello. uh, Can you hear me? Sure, I can. All right. Okay, so uh, I'm a little right now. This is the first time me coming on here, but uh, anyways. Um,
0: it's okay. If it's any consolation, I just wet myself, so.
4: <laughs> yeah, uh, that'll be me in a few minutes, I guess. Anyway, so um, <clears throat> my, uh, I guess my question is uh, pretty simple. Well, I don't know. It's pretty short. I don't know what's simple, but anyways. Um, so I should probably just uh, really, really briefly mention why i'm bringing this question in because it's sort of relevant to myself uh basically when i i'm sorry to when i was you. really just
0: back off him like a little bit it's just kind of buzzy okay uh nice is this better, thank better? you that's no, perfect okay. thank you
4: okay um all right when, when i was very young i was uh rather like babied and like i wasn't really exposed to the real world or anything like uh, i spent most of my time just with my uh, my mother and my my father was mostly at work and all that and uh suddenly like a uh, When I started having to get out in uh, the real world and and deal with other children, um, like some of them were actually really bad, really poorly parented, and they were sort of rubbing off on me, I guess. And uh, basically, uh, I've I've been struggling with being fairly antisocial for the last 20 years, trying to get it sort of fixed. I've made serious progress, otherwise I wouldn't have been able to call in today, obviously. Right. Uh, it was pretty bad. And sorry, but, I just um, want to make
0: sure I get the pattern. So you were sort of, uh, as you say, babyed, uh, and you spent a lot of time with your parents, and then you spent time with peers who were, who had themselves been badly parented. Is that right?
4: Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, and and so I, I never really fit in very well in school and all that. But basically, where this leads with my question is, uh, I, I know that you're you're going to uh, be raising your child in such a way that. Uh, um, obviously force and retaliation and all those sort of evil sort of things are not even in her uh, dialect. But I'm sort of wondering if that might be possibly setting up a bit, f- a bit of a failure where um, she suddenly is exposed to other people w- who have these negative traits. And so sure. if she doesn't speak the language, it might be great that she's not going to be inflicting it on others. But I'm just wondering how you're going to deal with the uh, the fact that uh, people are going to be lying to her, people are going to be manipulating her, and uh, all that sort of thing in the future. I mean, I'm not saying that you really want to go about uh, uh, lying to her to teach her about lying or anything. But I just think that, you know, rather than, for, uh, to, to make a metaphor, rather than uh, not knowing about uh, fighting at all, if you could teach them Aikido, so it's sort of a, you've got really good self-defense, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to go around karate chopping people all the time, right? So, I was just wondering if you had any sort of plans in that regard um, for your daughter.
0: Right. No, that's a that's a great question. I've certainly uh, been asked that before, and um, it's well worth well worth discussing. So, I appreciate you bringing it up. Um. Okay, I mean, I'm I'm, sorry, I'm You're not obviously suggesting that I harm my daughter because the world can be harmful. <laughs> obviously, right? Um, no. You're not saying that because people abuse their children, I must abuse my child to prepare her for that, right? Because that would be placing my moral standards in the hands of pretty nefarious people. So I, I get that you're not suggesting that. So the question is sort of, how do you prepare a child to navigate through a world where, you know, up to ninety percent of people uh, were hit as children? When you're not right, so yeah, I mm-hmm. I understand that. Now there's a couple of things that that I think are the case. Um, first of all, uh, people will lie to her, and uh, of course she's fully aware of lying because she experiments with it herself, right? So she knows what lying is, and we are working on her to un- <laughs> to get her to understand the value of telling the truth, and so. You know, did 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 Mama brush her teeth this morning? <laughs> you know, that's a, she doesn't like getting her teeth brushed, so she wants to say yes, she did. And then if I go ask Mama and Mama says no, right? So she under, she fully understands what lying is, and she's working on that uh, approach to things. And I think that's great. I think that's a very important phase for her to go through. Uh, and uh, she's uh, so so when so, when someone lies to her, uh, she's gonna know what it is because she's tried it herself. So uh so I don't think that's going to be outside of her experience. Um but what she will have seen I think is a way of working with lies that is you know patient and productive and so on where I say well uh, you know here's what bothers me about lying you know <laughs> It means that I can't necessarily believe what it is that you're going to say. Uh, it means it's lots of extra work. i got to go ask mama. And uh, I don't like it. It makes me feel bad uh, when you lie. And, you know, would you like it if I said, let's go see some horsies and then said, no, I wasn't telling you the truth. We're going to the the haircutters or the dentist. Would you feel bad? And, you know, just th- th- that kind of stuff, right? So getting her. So she will know how to deal with somebody who's lying because, um, you know, hopefully she will have seen me deal with it in a semi-productive manner. So, so she'll know what lying is. Uh, as far as manipulation goes, yeah, she, of course, she, she's uh, she's very manipulative. And uh, that's, again, entirely appropriate to her stage of uh, of development. And I won't bore you with, with stories about it. But, uh, again, this is just behavior that you need to notice and you need to, you know, she's setting up moral rules, as everyone does. And then she attempts to, to create exceptions for herself because that's what everyone does when it comes to moral rules. So, um that's you know, so she knows what manipulation is. Now she doesn't really know what it's like to be on the receiving end of
5: manipulation. Yeah, uh,
0: really and right but but no, but if she knows, if she knows how to speak the language, she will know how to hear the language, right?
5: Mm-hmm.
0: Does that make Hopefully. sense? Well, no, she will. I mean, that's just logical, right? If I can speak French, then I can understand French, right?
4: Yeah, but like, just in my case, I don't know if maybe I was just. I'm just socially stupid or something uh, it might very well be because my brain doesn't, kind of works differently than most people. I just, it wasn't that easy for me to just pick up on it sort of thing, you know, like uh,
0: well, sorry to interrupt you, but this is the second part of what, <laughs> what I was going to get to. Uh, well, sorry, no, the, the, that's the third part. The second part is if people are nasty to her, uh, then I mean, I, I've already seen that, of course, you know, she plays with other children and sometimes other children can be grabby or pushy or whatever, right? And so she has uh, already experienced that. You can't hide that in the world. I mean, I guess you can (laughs) if you live in a cave, but you can't hide that in the world. So she knows that she doesn't like it. Um, She knows to say, I don't like that. Uh, Please don't do that. And if the person keeps doing it, then we remove her from the situation. Hmm. And, I mean, isn't that about as good as you can expect in those kinds of situations, right? So if somebody is being nasty to you, you say, I don't like that. Uh, Please don't do that. Uh, And uh, if the person continues to do it, you simply leave the situation, right? Yeah. Because you you can't control other people. You can express your preferences, but you can't control them. So if somebody is committed to being a – jerk again it's hard to say about kids but as an adult then yeah you simply don't stay in that situation because that you know you can only control your own actions not other people's actions and you can control whether you're there you can't control how the other person behaves and so given that she's not going to be in like to make her susceptible to bullying the best thing that i could do would be to bully her right
4: I don't know if I agree with that.
0: Oh, I guarantee you that is the case. If you want to make somebody uh, susceptible to to being bullied, then you bully them as a parent. And you'll either turn them into a bully uh, or Mm. you will uh, make them a victim. But they'll still be locked in the paradigm of bullying one way or the other.
4: Yeah, that's sort of what I meant with that. I mean, yeah, obviously it would teach them, but uh, (laughs) it's not really the way you want to go about it. That's sort of where my question lied in, in that regard, I guess.
0: Right. Right, so yeah. she's obviously she's not going to be a bully, and I yeah, that's that's no no question, no question of that. She's not frightened of bullies, mm-hmm. right? She she just because she hasn't had those train tracks laid in her head, right? Mm-hmm. Right, so um, if if you get those train tracks laid in your head, then any little cart can come whizzing down them and know exactly where to go. But so if somebody's mean to her, it's pretty rare. But if somebody is mean to her, she knows she doesn't like it, and she says so, and then she just removes herself from the situation. But she's not okay. scared. she just doesn't like it right Like if if I give her a piece of spinach and she doesn't like it, she just spits it out. She's not scared.
5: Yeah
0: right now if I yelled at her to eat her spinach, then she'd be scared right but we don't do that right
4: hmm. Yeah well. Like I know it might be a little difficult in the school situation where you can't really remove yourself from the situation. I mean, well, you can, but it was only short term and you're going to have to deal with them again later. But I'm hoping that maybe kids aren't as bad as they were when, I'm, when I was that age because when I was that age, it was kind of a everyday sort of thing, right? But, I mean, yeah, you can't was, do anything just, about uh, that either way. I,
0: I mean, I, I think, that, I think that, that kids are better. Uh, I think that they yeah. are uh, better. I think parenting is improving slowly and painfully. I was actually just talking to this uh, with a friend of mine, And uh, she was saying that where she works, um, she has conversations, uh, you know, because she works in in retail and she sees, uh, you know, bad treatment of kids on a daily basis. And, uh, you know, she's heroic in her way of talking to people about this and just a real inspiration to me at least. And she was saying that among her co-workers, when the subject comes up, you know, everybody who's like, you know, 35 and older is like, yeah, spanked as a kid. I turned out great. Other than the fact that they're working retail in their 40s. But anyway, <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. I get all these emails from people now. <laughs> but um, uh, but but all the people who are like 25 or 23 and under, they're like, oh, yeah, that's not cool.
4: Yeah, it's interesting you say that because I'm 26. And actually until a couple of months ago, I was sort of under the belief that uh, <clears throat> I ended up fine even though I was – spanked and all that but I recently came to the realization that the realize uh, the, the reason that I have lost a great deal of respect for my father is well not only just because of his in, inconsistent behavior time and time again but because he was almost always the one spanking me and many of the times it was just because I was doing something he didn't want it wasn't because I was doing something unacceptable it wasn't a last resort it was just kind of I'm laying down the law here you know Right, and, but um, I mean,
0: the, and, the the problem with that formulation, of course, is that you're saying that there are shades of, shades of justification to hitting children.
4: No, I, I wouldn't agree. I mean, I was a very, very stubborn child. Like, for example, when my parents nope, said... "No,
0: nope, no, nope, oh, you made a mistake again. Oh, no. and <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm so annoyed. I really apologize.
4: You were not a stubborn child. Well, compared to my brother, I was. Um, and well, I, no, no, I, but I, I, I mean, think I look, if, saying, if, so. if, you were, if
0: you were being spanked then the first place, place to look for your, quote, personality is the fact that you were spanked.
4: Right. I um, mean, spanking uh, has
0: been shown scientifically to increase uh, defiance of authority, to increase stubbornness. And again, maybe you are naturally stubborn, but you can't separate that, and the science would indicate that the first place to look for your that supposed personality trait is in the being spanked.
4: Right. Um- But no, like I I totally agree with that. It's just the one thing I did want to say is when I was really young, I wasn't really spanked because I, I don't know, I just, I didn't do a whole lot of bad things. But I would like my mom, the way she saw it is absolutely last resort. She might consider it or consider the threat of spanking. Now, of course, I, I know that's obviously not ideal either. But like just to give you an example of my stubbornness. Um, and I did totally respect my mom, so this was very rare that I would get in trouble with her, but it wasn't rare that I'd be stubborn. Um, when I was really young, they actually uh, – they said don't set one foot on the road because you know they want me to be safe. And the first thing I do is run over to the road and stomp on it with one foot. <laughs> Whereas my brother, they just say don't set foot in the road and you just say, oh, okay, and you wouldn't go near it at all.
0: Younger and, uh, brother, right?
4: Uh, he was. He's my older brother actually. I'm the oh, he's your one. older brother? Oh, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe they they set him out on the wrong, on the right foot at an earlier age, where he really respected them, and so he never questioned them or whatever. But um, it was interesting too, because I was never my father was never really around for the first three or so years of my life because he was out in uh, the oil sands working, and uh, so I was mostly raised by my mom. So it's kind of weird that I'd still be that stubborn to my mom in that sort of situation. But I mean.
0: Well, and I mean, there's a real opportunity for knowledge, right? So if I said to Isabella, don't do something, and she immediately went and did it, <laughs> that would be a chance. No, that would be a chance for a great conversation.
4: Oh, yeah, for sure. I'm sure right. there probably were many great conversations, but I probably don't remember much about them. No. Yeah. Well, yeah, like I, I totally get where you're, where you're going with that. I, I, now, I now believe that, th- thanks to you also, by the way, um, like this is your videos and that that I've been looking at, and sort of realizations I've had since then um, that I basically totally agree that uh, you, you shouldn't spank your kids. I mean I, I mean, unless you have to like save their life from some horrible danger and you just got to go out – that, that, that's using force to pull them away from a dangerous situation, right? But I mean – Well, that's not spanking. Other right. than I – mean, yeah, it's not spanking. If you,
0: if you grab a blind guy about to walk in front of a bus, he's going to thank you, right? He's not going to say, hey, you grabbed me, you jerk, right?
4: And even if he doesn't, it's still probably in the best.
0: Yeah, still the right thing if to do. That. Yeah, yeah.
4: But Until yeah. He like, sues you
0: because he wanted to kill himself. <laughs> anyway, go ahead.
4: Yeah, like up to as far as about a month or two ago, I was totally unaware. I thought, well, I really regretted being spanked a lot, but I didn't really have a problem with spanking it. But now, just seeing how differently I respect my uh, and respond to my mother and father, my mother hardly ever spanked me, just almost entirely just based on him ordering her to. Uh, and the reason for that was probably that he was. Upset that I didn't respect him very much, so maybe it would have more effect if someone who respected uh, respected them uh, spanked me. So that's pretty bad logic right there on his part. So
0: oh yeah, the idea that you can hit someone into respecting you is—I mean, it's yeah. so deranged that it takes a very powerful culture-warping set of beliefs to justify that.
2: Yeah.
4: Yeah, it just—it's. I find it so interesting to me now. I think if, if someone wanted to defend uh, spank, spanking, I think the thing that I would say to them now is basically uh, my mother hardly ever spanked me and my father spanked me just about every possible opportunity. And I've totally lost respect for him and it almost completely destroyed my relationship with him. So it, do it at your own peril basically. Like you're going to destroy your relationship with your child if you do it.
0: But how did your mom let your dad spank you? I don't quite understand that.
4: Well, but well, did she, didn't she say something about it? He, oh, all the time. But I mean, my my father. There's no reasoning with him. Basically, um, there is now. Now that I've moved out and I live on my own and that, and I don't have to deal with that situation all the time. I mean, I can I can ninety percent of the time I get along with him just fine, and it's not worth cutting off that relationship. But um,
0: I, I, well, I mean, you were, know, again, I think I think it's an important question. I'm sort of trying to cause any trouble, but I mean, no. If somebody was hitting my daughter. Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. Like, here, let me put you on an armchair on this catapult and let me help you off my property. Yeah.
4: Well, she didn't really have... No, but it's just something to
0: talk about. I would say it's something to talk about. I mean, um, there aren't necessarily entirely separate ethical systems for parents because they are married uh, to each other. And uh, it's just something to... Anyway, it's something to mull over.
4: Yeah. Well, anyway... um, I I guess uh, you've answered my question uh, very well. I was I was kind of hoping for some other special little trick or something, but I suppose one doesn't. No, exist.
0: I think um, yeah. I mean, I think she, she'll be aware of the vices in others that she has experimented with herself. Uh, she will uh, model her response on other people's vices, on my response to her vices. I use the word vice here quite uh, loosely, right? Uh, and um, so, uh, and the other thing is that she will be. I believe, uh, inoculated against bullying by self confidence. I mean, her personality is largely done now. I mean, it's, it's, she's had her three years. Uh, mm. Everything else now is just little tweaks. Like, I don't have much capacity to <laughs> rewrite any of the basics anymore. Yeah. And seeing her with uh, aggressive children is beautiful. I mean, I wish I had a tenth of her, uh, a tenth of a tenth of her uh, security and confidence in those situations.
4: Yeah, that's something I wish I would have had until uh, something that I've been missing until I was about 20 or 22 or something. I w- that would have been great if I would have had that at that age self confidence right. and all that.
0: <laughs> right, right. Yeah, because I mean, then, you know, the bullies pick on, on the weak, right?
4: Yeah. And where do you think I got that lack of self confidence from? Probably spanking, right? So that's Well, spanking other...
0: and a parent who permitted it, right?
4: Well, not so much permitted it as kind of forced along for the ride, really, but. I, I won't get into well, parents. She
0: still had more choices than you did. That's sort of what I'm saying.
4: Basically, her only choice would have been to have moved out and just escaped. But because um, my father was like, I don't know what it was. She really didn't want to get a divorce, and she really hated much of the relationship. But she just sort of stuck through it, I guess, for the children, kind of. But I mean, well, you should ask kind of her about opposite.
0: that. I mean, you're an adult now. I mean, because your yeah. parents' choices and it's you know, it's not to cause trouble. It's because your parents' choices have a big effect on your choices. You know that, right? Yeah. Yeah, and so you need to, as far as I think, self knowledge is is not just about yourself; it's about your environment, mm-hmm. and it's important to know why your mom made the decisions that she made. Not from a critical standpoint, but just to understand because you're going to be drawn towards making the same decisions, and yeah. they may not be the right decisions. Or you, or if they are, you at least want to be conscious of them. Does that sort of make any sense?
4: Yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I I've I've turned out in such a way that I've got a lot more answers than my mum ever did. So. If and when I have children, it's going to be a lot better. I mean, it's not going to be perfect, obviously, but um, I, I definitely should ask her about that because there's no way I would just stick with a relationship just for the children if the relationship is hurting the children sort of thing Like like she, she, that she sort of went through. you know? I, I, Yeah, I she may have
0: reasons that would surprise you. She may have reasons that you can really empathize with, but I think it's really yeah. important to know what those reasons are.
4: Okay. Um, Did you say there was a third part to your answer?
0: I don't recall. Yeah, and I'll just touch on this very briefly to get to the other callers, but you were saying that the problem was that you were babied, um, and then you ended up hanging around with other kids who'd been badly parented or abusively parented. Yeah. Yeah, I think that your parenting may have been more similar to the peers that you hung out with than you think, because otherwise I'm not sure why you would be hanging out.
4: Well, that's that's possible. but uh, like I,
0: Again, I'd summed them all over. This, you know, that, that was sort of my first thought. and You said, well, the yeah. problem was I was coddled, but they were abused. But we had a lot in common. Well, then, well, you may be mischaracterizing.
4: I don't think we had a lot in common, though. I mean, like, I didn't even know what the word hate was when I was three, pretty much. And then I came home from school one day telling my brother, who basically was my best, best friend at the time, that I hated him. And he was just mortified. So, I mean, you know.
0: Well, sorry, you had been spanked before three, right?
4: Probably. uh, I, I obviously have no memory of that, but my father wouldn't have been involved in it. It would have only been maybe once or twice, and it would have only been in response to the most serious of issues. It wouldn't have been the whole abusive, repeated thing that it was when my dad was around.
0: Well, all I would say is that if you have a bunch of peers who have all been abusively parented, then you may want to ask why they were of that similar ilk. I mean, that's all. That's all. I'm just saying it's a question to ask. Maybe that's a yeah. completely innocuous answer, but uh, I think that's an important question. Okay. All right. Well, uh, all right.
4: Thanks, thanks man. A it's a great question.
0: Answer. I really appreciate you bringing that up. And I hope uh, that in 10 years, I'm not saying, damn, I really should have taught her how to be a jerk. <laughs>
4: <laughs> Me too. All
0: right. Thanks, man. Take care. Thanks. You too. And good luck with those chats with your mom. I really appreciate you uh, thinking about that. Yeah. All right. Caller Von
6: Trois. Hello? Hello. Hey, oh, this okay. is Albert.
0: Hi, how are you doing?
6: Uh, I'm good, thank
2: you. Um, oh, sorry, Albert, you'll want to turn off your uh, your streamer, because we're getting an echo.
6: Yeah, is it, is it better now?
0: Yep. Seems okay. good to me. Okay.
6: Um, I, I just wanted to mention, uh, yesterday, like uh, this is in relation to the word anarchy and how some people react yesterday. I went to a screening, uh, sponsored by some people affiliated with, uh, the Venus project. This was in New York city, downtown <laughs> uh, Chinatown. And, um, they were showing the film "Thrive." Uh, I don't know if you've heard about this. Um, it, it goes along the lines of the zeitgeist, um, but here they, they present uh, a mathematical model that they believe um, energy or, or, you know, power systems, just the technology that we create to follow this model has to do with... Um, oh, boy, I forgot the name of it, but uh, they make a connection. Say, they say it's found, you know, many places in nature, uh, crop circles and whatnot. Um, and they actually, I was surprised because I got not mention this, but they actually mention, um, you know, we need to focus more on the individual. Um, you know, they, they called the non-violation principle, which I thought they meant non-aggression principle. Um, they didn't directly say that statism is the problem. Uh, but, uh, anyway, uh, so they, they, they mentioned this mathematical, mathematical model and they say, you know, this, uh, this would give us free energy, and then uh, the second half of the movie goes about exposing uh, the banking system, politics, uh, basically how everything is manipulated by the money powers. And then uh, at the end of the film, there's about eight people there. At the end of the film, I, uh, you know, the guy, you know, my cousin was there. He asked, what do you think about democracy? The guy says, you know, we don't really have democracy, uh, which I agreed with. But then, uh, you know, he says, uh, if you have something on your mind, you should contact your senator, like, uh, Schumer or whatever, and ask to object. I said, you know, Schumer is a world-class criminal, and really, we don't... I, I told him, uh, I don't think we need to wait for any political authority to implement change. Uh, we should just do it, um, inform people, uh, about, you know, our motives, what we think is best, and, uh... And then I said, you know, I think the best way to go about things is through voluntarism uh, or anti-statism or anarchism. As, as soon as I said anarchism, this guy, uh, like, I hit a switch. and He's like, no, 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 anarchism is chaos. And, then, and I was like, no, uh, anarchism just basically means no political authority. So if we want to say that certain farming techniques are better, I won't wait for somebody to give me approval. I'll just plant an organic garden in my yard and in my neighborhood. I'll,
0: you know. I'm sorry I, to interrupt. Let me just. Uh, I just want yeah. to pause there for a second. Uh, it's a great story. I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah. Uh, anarchism does not mean without political rulers. Yeah.
6: Uh, yeah. Yeah. What? No. No. I let mean, me just. No uh, sorry, no, sorry,
0: sorry, sorry. Let me just. Yeah. Let me just be clear on that because people sort yeah, of yeah. get a. I'm not saying you, but people get confused about why I talk right. about the family. Anarchism means without rulers. Right? And this is why parents should not be rulers. Parents should not be aggressive. I mean, anarchy start, starts in the family, and anarchy cannot exist in society until it starts in the family. Anarchy means without rulers. I am not the ruler of my daughter. I am a coach. I am a helper. I am a provider. I am not her ruler. She is my property. She's not my serf. She's not my thing. And so I just really want to be clear that anarchy is available and possible to everyone. Right? In relationships, it means n- do not accept other people ruling your self-esteem. Do not ex- ex- accept other people ruling your physical space through aggression. Do not ex- uh, accept other people ruling your emotions through verbal aggression or verbal abuse. So it simply means I do not have rulers. Uh, I-, I oppose rulers in general. And um, so the politics thing is important, and I don't want to say that you're wrong, but to me it's a very tiny subset. And of course what it means is if you define anarchy as without political masters, then it means that you are unable to achieve it. If you define anarchy as without masters, without rulers, without aggressors, then you can achieve that to a very significant degree in your life. So it's the difference between what is possible and what is not. And I'm sorry to be annoying. Just, just pause on that point. I just wanted to mention that, and uh, please go on with your story.
6: Oh no, no no that's that's actually a good point. Um I, I guess I mentioned political because he was talking. Uh, the conversation at the time was about politics and democracy. Yeah, yeah. And, okay. But um that's a good point without masters. Um and I actually learned a couple things from Everyday Anarchy and Practical Anarchy, so I brought up the point because people look at me strange like what is this young kid, I'm I'm twenty three, it's like, oh here's another young naive kid. Um and Don't I, worry, I, I still I was... get
0: called a young naive kid, and I'm a long way from 23.
6: So. <laughs> right, so, so I mentioned. Naive just uh, means principled, right? In
0: the in the translation from statism to truth, naive just means principled. Uh, so take it as a compliment.
1: <laughs> All
6: right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, that's good. All right. So I mentioned ambivalence for Anarchy, and I told people, you know, from what I learned from your books, uh, the the. I wouldn't. I don't want to call them talking points, but they're are points that are that drive the point home. Um, you know, we don't need the government to tell us who to marry. We don't need the government to tell us uh, where to go to school or what to learn. And, uh, sometimes they overreach, but uh, in general, and I think people agree with that. But this guy, you know, and I, he was like, "Yeah, yeah," but anarchy means lawlessness, and I was like, "I was like, no, I negative anarchy." I, well, this is this probably from my belief system, but what I said was there's always one law, and that's natural law. Um, I mentioned land, air, and water. You don't you don't destroy what supports you. But also, I, I said uh, non-aggressive. You don't violate people. Um, and anyway, this guy was like, you know what? I think we're arguing about because. And then I told him that's why I said volunteerism in front of it, anti-statism before I said anarchy because. I had a feeling, uh, you know, I was going to get this reaction. He was like, you know what, that's fine, but, uh, let's use another word. Let's use a different word instead of anarchy. And I was like, you know what, let's just move on with the conversation because he couldn't get past the, you know, the indoctrination that we've gotten, uh, uh, about the word anarchy. And which I, I, I just found it strange because his point was, we need to get this Thrive movie out. You know, we need to educate people, uh, you know, we need to shift, you know, the mindset and the consciousness. And I was thinking the same idea with the word anarchy, like if we understand what what uh, anarchy or the principles behind it mean, then we can, you know, shift consciousness also maybe even quicker. Uh, but that's just the point I want to make, um, you know, the, the clicking of once that word hits, you know, how people almost turn on, not, not necessarily turn on you, but... I don't know.
0: They just Well, we are in, um, we're in an upside-down world, right? We're in an upside-down world. I mean, that which is hated is that which is good, and that which is good is that which is evil. It, it, I mean, we live—it's like you could almost just take a, an inverse photocopy of the culture and arrive at philosophy, <laughs> right? Um, so, so, yeah, when this guy talks about lawlessness, lawlessness— it certainly is true. Uh, it's certainly, Sorry, if you could just hold on. We're just on another call. <clears throat> certainly, it's true that anarchy is lawless under the current system. But that's a very great distortion of the word law. I mean, law is an objective rule for resolving disputes between people. And that does not apply to any status law in existence. Right? So you really have to mutate the word law. I mean, there are hundreds and hundreds of thousands of laws that people are supposed to conform to in a modern state of society, and nobody can conceivably conform to them. It's impossible. And so what you have is a system of random abuses, not a system of laws. And these laws are constantly changing. Hundred thousand new laws get added to the federal registry or regulations or rules every single year. We are in a state of no law. And of course, the reality is that the vast majority of people live in a state of worse than anarchy because they have no access to the law, right? It's, I mean, try, try going to court. See how long is that going to take you and how much <laughs> money are you going to have to spend. They have no access. The law, any kind of dispute resolution has been denied to them, has been stolen from them. They do not have access to the law. It is the right. law is a tool of the rich and of the powerful in order to – and it's de- deliberately kept away from the poor and the helpless, with the exception of things like class lawsuits and so on. But an individual who has uh, uh, – somebody's violated a contract for a couple of thousand dollars, uh, you know, it's too big for small claims. And if you go the other route, it's years and hundreds of thousands of dollars. So most people – see, it's worse than anarchy in statism for the majority of people because in a free society there would be people bending over backwards to find ways to resolve disputes between people of limited income but in the status system the lawyers run (laughs) the law i mean how insane is that um talk about putting the inmates in charge of the asylum the lawyers run the law and so the lawyers have massive incentives to restrict entry uh, into law the same way the doctors do all licensed people have a massive incentive to restrict entry to raise up their own prices and they have um, and it's a massive incentive to make a long, lengthy and expensive legal process or as lengthy and expensive as it could be. And so it's worse than – in anarchy, you could have access to dispute resolution organizations for very cheap. Uh, and, um, but, but you have to beg for pro bono, uh, which is, you know, the very poor and the very rich do very well in statism. <laughs> it's just everybody else who gets hosed. And so, where people are now, it's worse than anarchy. I mean, they truly live—the the middle class, in particular—truly live in a state of lawlessness because they simply do not have access to a legal system. Uh, and that, of course, is one of the reasons why, as the weaker of all of the weakest of all of the groups, they are getting the most picked off.
6: Um, yeah. So, before I go off, I didn't—I I don't want to ask another question It's an unrelated topic. I don't want to take up too much time uh, from others. But so. I, I, I rec- actually recommend that people watch it. I'm actually going to go back next Saturday, um, and, you know, I'm going to go with a pad. I'm going to watch the movie. It gets two hours long. I'll try to bring a couple friends. But I'm going to note down the points in the movie because I was surprised uh, how much of the philosophy that's spoken of uh, in Free Radio was in the movie, which was the non-aggression principle. They called it non I'm sorry, which
0: movie was this? Live. Oh, thrive! Um, right, right. I thrive. think the guy's a fan. I think the guy who made it is a is a fan.
6: Yeah, th- I think the website would be like Thrive Movement. Um, uh, but anyway, so the movie the movie had a certain points that are central to uh, our philosophy. I say our because of the community that uh, we have Freedom in radio, But um, so non aggression principle. They actually mentioned dispute uh, resolution organizations, which is. The only the second place where I've come across that term other than your book. Uh, and anyway, I, I plan to go next week, go back, rewatch the film, uh, take some points down. I'm not going to mention the word anarchy again, but I'll try to. No, put just say it. a
0: society founded or society based on non-aggression. I mean, I know what you mean. It's yeah, we yeah, have yeah. less choice. We have less choice about the word anarchy than say, Ayn Rand had about the word selfish. Right. So she wrote the virtue of selfishness and people right. say, well, why would you choose that? She had lots of choices around selfishness. Yeah, yeah. She could rational self-interest or whatever, right? Enlightened self-interest. She could have, but but we really don't have a choice, uh, I don't think. I mean, uh, without looking like we we're dodging something. I mean, right, people always right. say, well, why don't you use some other word? And I say, well, I'm a voluntarist. Well, how's that different from anarchism? Well, it's a word anarchism with icing and a cherry on top. <laughs> it's like, okay, so let's just, you know, yeah. I'm just going to use the word and deal with that.
6: Um So yeah, I I won't mention, I'll try to put it more in in the context of, we don't need, uh, if you want to implement change, I don't think you should wait for uh, a political authority, I don't think you should wait for, um, you know, a a, a protest, I don't think, you know, if if you have the tools, and I was going over your criticisms of Zeitgeist today, because I watched it like over a year ago and I wanted to refresh, but... Um, like you said, don't make the documentary. Go ahead and implement the you know, the technology or, you know, the society what you need. Um, so yeah, I, I that's probably the point that I'll drive home next time is uh you know, let's educate as much people as possible, but let's just go out and do it. Um, you know, the goons will come, the enforcement class will come, but uh, at this point I think it's either I think it's desperate times
0: and you know, well you, look, I mean the other thing I would say too is and and I mean their criticisms of the banking system I think are are good. I mean right, right, right. And but of course it's it's not a banking system that they're criticizing. It's not a banking system, and you know, this is really important for people to understand that you, you cannot use a no, free I mean, market word to describe it's, right, a statist right. it's situation. The monopoly, it's, not, it's, um, it's 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 statism that they're criticizing. It's statism. I mean it's actually technically it's fascism, which is Ah, uh, public ownership and private profits. Uh, right. So, public ownership and public quote profits is communism, and public ownership and private profits is fascism. Private ownership and private profits is the free market. Um, there's your <laughs> political lesson in three, three easy <laughs> sound bites. But, um, um, but they're they're talking about fa- they're, they're criticizing fascism. You know, it's important to you know if I'm describing, uh, you know, the uh, a soldier's raping of women in a village, I don't call it the marriage. I'm criticizing the marriage market. I, I don't use the term of voluntarism to describe that, which is coercive, and I will not say it's a criticism of the banking system. It's a criticism of fascism, um, but it's not a bank. Because a banking system is, you know, voluntary. It's that's a free market term, and uh, what they're criticizing is is force. And really, that's all we're criticizing is force. And um, to me, I was some people who say, "Well, let's you know, go to politics," it's like a bunch of three hundred pound people saying we need to pass a law banning cheesecake. No, you just need to put down your cheesecake, right? I mean, you just need to stop eating cheesecake. And <laughs> same thing, we need to pass a law to make us free or we need to repeal laws to make us free. No, just reject masters, reject rulers within your own life, uh, and then you're free. Because if you enslave yourself trying to control more rulers who are never going to listen to you, you're less free than if you'd never even heard of freedom. Anyway, sorry, sorry I don't want to go out and well, read. One so.
6: last thing, uh, and I, I'll hang up, uh, you know, to listen to your response. Um, in, you know... I've heard it on a radio show when people will say, you know, anarchy is chaos. Just look at Somalia. Um, if you can, please uh, note some resources. I don't know if you've—probably uh, your forums, but uh, no, I don't know I've done how a, much in a your
0: book of videos, so. you go about like, a,
6: actual— I mean, I know there hasn't been a real example of anarchy uh, implemented, but uh, rebuttals to, you know, just look at Somalia or just look at this other place that is quote-unquote anarchy and how good is that working for them. Uh, mm. I just some yeah. pointers, because I'd like to study up on that and get my uh, my rebuttals in order.
0: Yeah, no, I've I've got a couple of videos. Um, Somalia is actually doing better than most of Africa, certainly doing better than statist societies in Africa. And it is certainly is doing better than it was under statism by almost every measure that you could think of. Uh, it's doing better. Uh, I mean, the piracy issue, to my understanding, is largely because people are dumping waste off the coast. Um, so, again, that's being completely ignored in the mainstream media, as you'd expect. But I would – this is what I would say to someone because, of course, I get this. You people just need to move to Somalia if that's what you like so much and see how you like it. Um, um, First of all, Somalia is not without rulers because the parenting is still quite brutal and there are warlords and there are um, uh, clans and so on. It's very hierarchical and a violence-driven society. I mean that's how – I mean do you think spanking is not prevalent in Africa? Of course it. Depends. spanking and child abuse is incredibly prevalent, prevalent in Africa and that's the main reason why Africa is the way that it is. So uh, it is not without rulers. It is without a, a formal government but it is not without rulers. So anarchy is without rulers and that means a society that respects the non-aggression principle primarily against children. That is not Somalia. Second, I would say let's say the slave ship runs aground, hits a bunch of rocks and uh, the, slaves, the slaves stumble out onto some island, uh, is, is, does that mean that society has ended slavery? No, it just means that a ship crashed. You know, if, if there's a town with one church and that church accidentally burns to the ground, does that mean that the society has now become philosophically atheist? No, it just means that the church burned down. And Somalia did not reason its way or learn its way or enlighten its way into giving up violence in all of its forms. All that happened was the government collapsed. Right? That is not, that is not anarchy. Anarchy is without rulers, and it is with a philosophical understanding of the non-aggression principle and property rights, which is not at all prevalent in society. If people want to look at – somebody was asking in the chat room, is there a DRO, dispute resolution organization, running in the world today? Well, yeah. I've talked about this for years. I mean just look at eBay. Now, if people want to say, what does anarchy look like? Well, one way that you can look at it – it's not perfect, but it's pretty good – is the dispute resolution system in eBay or or PayPal or any number of other things where – it costs you almost nothing other than a little bit of time to uh, resolve your disputes where reputation is everything and where uh, all of these standards are enforced without enforcement, without uh, through ostracism and through reputation. Uh, that is a, a system of uh, without rulers because I mean, eBay is, is pretty much the world's largest employer. At least five years ago, there were 300,000 people making their full-time occupation off eBay. It's probably higher now or if it isn't, it's because it's spread out to other things. But eBay has a dispute resolution system that does not involve lawyers' fees and hundreds of thousands of dollars and tens of thousands of hours in court and all that kind of stuff. Uh, It is a functioning system worldwide, cross-language, which resolves disputes with almost no overhead, uh, with very little human involvement, with almost no cost, and is functioning and has functioned really quite beautifully. And it's not perfectly, of course, people have got horror stories about eBay and PayPal, but they're, of course, still operating within a statist environment, so… Uh, that would be uh, an example, I think, of um, uh, of, of something closer, much closer than Somalia. Oh, thank you. You're very welcome. Great, great questions. Great questions, as always. I've got to tell you people, 2012 oh. is a banner year so far for listener questions. Don't break this trend, next person. No problem. Hello? Yep, Hi, you're how up. you do it?
3: Oh, hello, Stefan. It's great to speak to you. I've been listening to your podcast for quite a while, and I've really enjoyed it. I think I heard when you were talking to Ben he was the first one, and I think it just blew my mind. It was the red pill, and uh, gone from being far-right conservative to being libertarian, and then... Trying to answer the typical "What about the roads?" questions, and started listening to your podcast. And when we got into the I just NACU,
0: uh, I know what you mean by the far right thing. I've actually just uh, I've just um, went from one audiobook written by Noam Chomsky to another one written by Ann Coulter. Uh, <laughs> so my head is still in slow orbit around the polarized bichromatic rainbow called American politics. But anyway, sorry, go on. And
3: and. I've yet to hear anything that you've said in your podcasts or your books, and I have read them, that I can argue with, and that's a good thing. Um, That being said, I've had some discussions. I live out on the, uh, as we call it in Canada, the left coast, with some people that I know that are very, very socialist, raised by socialist hippie parents. And we had this long conversation on uh, Facebook with this one lady, and she just... We we had the what about the roads what about what about the hospitals and and we talked about the whole Lancashire schools and the friendly societies and stuff and at the end of it she just couldn't accept it it was just too big a leap and and and, and are we that few and far between those of us that can make that leap from okay the, the NAP the whole kindergarten principle that you've talked about applying universally are are people that can make that leap that few and far between
0: well what do you think what's your experience been
3: um actually i'm not 100% sure i'm still forming my opinion on that um it's really hard to talk because i know that this is going to become a podcast and it's kind of like a-
0: no no let's just don't put out any details you're not comfortable with i'm just you can just give me some it's statistics really right badly. so you've had had a x number really of conversations good
3: conversation. Yeah, and I've actually swung one of my buddies. He's basically just kind of like, okay, that makes good sense. I accept it. He says, I'm not going to publicly announce that I believe the same thing as you because I don't want to wind up in a FEMA camp or something. I said, okay, you know, I can respect that. And most of the people that I talk to when I put forth an intelligent conversation with reasonable arguments and, and, and I'm careful not to attack the position that they have they're accepting of it and just don't give them too much and kind of overload them all at once. Um, that aside, I think, you know, what you're putting out there is podcasts and and the material on UPB and, and, uh, anarchism and stuff. And I particularly liked, uh, ninja moves for freedom and stuff. And I'm getting used to talking to it about other, about the topic to other people. Um, It is something that definitely has a very steep learning curve and it was epic fail on the young lady that uh, had the socialist parents and the socialist upbringing. I don't know whether it was my failure or her failure or a combination of the two. um, That going on, I just wanted to compliment you on your work. I did have a kind of a thing where you were talking about the responsibility is always with the parents and looking back at some of the failures I made with my children. Um, when they were growing up, the children from my first marriage and kind of taking ownership of that. And ironically enough, the first time I heard from them and I don't know where it's going to go is kind of after I faced my failures with it myself on that kind of thing. And, and I think it's all good though. And, and, uh, I guess the only question, I, I don't really have a question relative to that, but I, I wanted you to know that, uh, the change in perspective was helpful, um, going on the only the only question I really have to ask you and it isn't a very big one is I've been having a lot of discussions online with other people that are anarchists about the whole thing of property rights and I'm totally good on that until I hit the issue of land and 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 I'm kind of looking at it as use um, ownership through use so if you get a parcel of land and you improve it or you farm it or it's laying fallow in between being farmed rather than just someone walking in and saying, okay, I, everything that I can see because I'm the first person here, I own. And I kind of like your opinion on the whole land thing.
0: Hopefully it's more than an opinion, but I <laughs> I appreciate that.
3: <laughs> oh, okay. I was kind of expecting you to say something. So
0: No, I just, um, uh, sorry, but go ahead.
3: Yeah, I mean, my my position is, you know, I, I agree with you on the whole um, self-ownership and, and ownership of the works of our hands and stuff, but, you know, the kind of the whole planet was here before we got here thing, and we kind of walked in and said, well, you know, the Indians aren't really using this particular piece, or they're using it, but they're in my way, so it's mine. So there's a whole lot of things that are kind of grandfathered back. So how do you resolve it? If we were to say that uh, government suddenly ceased to exist and we started a voluntary society where everything ran according to the NAP, how would you handle property at that point, especially during the transitional period?
0: Well, I mean, it's never going to just vanish, right? Well... I mean, it's not going to wake up one day and there would be no government, right?
3: Well, not in that sense. No, I think it's going to slowly crumble. but. maybe not so slowly. I mean, we look at our, our, our economy is so tied into the States and theirs is pretty much had it. I work for an American company that, uh, it gives me a, bit, a broader view, I think on that because of what we hear from our corporate offices, but, uh, they're, uh, I don't know. I, th- I think I'm still tripping over the whole land thing and kind of tripping over the fact that I actually got to talk to you after about two months trying. trying. So.
0: <laughs> well, look, I will give you um, some thoughts about land, if you like, mm-hmm. because land is is tricky, right? Because it's the one thing we don't make, right? Oh, exactly. Right. So natural resources, they're just, they're just all kinds of there, right? <laughs> and so how can you claim ownership over something that you didn't create? You didn't create land, right? No, exactly. Right. Yeah, so people, um, they will support property rights in uh, a house that I've built because I've clearly invested my labor into that. Uh, but they will, they, you know, so I've, I've made the house or whatever, right? And, and maybe the land right under the house, but they have a tough time with land as a whole. I mean, that may, does that, is that sort of where you're coming from?
3: Yeah, pretty much. I mean, l- l- a good example is um, up in the interior of BC, there's a lot of really huge ranches where the land isn't really being used. I mean, the odd time they graze cattle on it, but you've got, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of acres. And I mean, to say that you realistically are using that land it's kind of subjective at the very best and outright BS. It's a view. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right.
0: I like me the view. Right. Right. Okay. Well, I've been, I've, Touched on this actually more than touched. I've droned on about it before, so I'll I'll just keep this brief. Um, but um, there is no property rights, I think, fundamentally, except in what we create, uh, and and I think that's that's important. So nobody really cares about land. It's what you can do with it. And let's just take the the simple sort of obvious example of a um, a farmer, right? A farmer is going to plant crops and then, you know, come harvest time a year or so later or whatever, is going to harvest those crops, right? So he doesn't care about the land. He cares about the crops. His his ownership is not in the land. His ownership fundamentally is in the crops. Does that make any sense?
3: Well, absolutely. My, my, my thinking kind of was that, okay, let's say that you have a 100-acre farm, and you're only really using half of it, maybe... Ten acres is laying fallow, but the other fifty acres has never been touched, never been improved. We live in a society where you can go to a DRO and and say, "Look, this fellow's not using this property. How do you resolve that issue? Does he get to keep holding on to property he's never used, or does the DRO say, "Well, look, pal, either use it or sell it
0: or yeah, use it or lose it. Well, I'll tell you, I mean, how it works. I mean a more a more free market. Environment and I say this with grueling personal experience, is uh, claim staking in Northern Ontario. Let me bore you <laughs> with the details about claim staking in Northern Ontario because there's a problem in that, you know, I worked as a gold panner and claim staker and prospector for uh, about a year and a half, all told, in Northern Ontario in some pretty <laughs> exciting conditions. And that's a challenging ownership situation because nobody wants... The land. In itself, they want the mineral rights under the land, right? But it's not worth digging to try and find gold if you don't get to keep. But you also want to cast your net pretty widely because so few of these things – like every square acre you buy as a farmer, you want to try and produce, for the most part, you know, stuff, right? But if you're a gold digger, then you need to find ways of casting your net – pretty widely and a lot of the stuff you're never going to end up using. So the way it works, and again from a bit of a personal experience, although I shouldn't say it was actually, it was a real blast doing that kind of work, but the way that it works is um, you go and you go in a kilometer square and you drive a bunch of posts into the ground and then you hammer a bunch of tin plates with your information on it and that's how you get the mineral rights, but they expire. After a certain amount of time, they revert back to common ownership. So when you put your stakes in, right, staking your claim, you put your stake in, and you put your name on it or your company name or whatever, then you get the mineral rights to that land for two years, right? And your date is is on there, right? And then you register that.
3: I think I see where you're going, that you you would would apply the same principle.
0: Yeah, I, I think that would make sense. I mean, I think that would be rational. So, you know, you're going to say, hey, I'm going to use this land. Now, I mean, as a farmer, you want to leave some stuff lying fallow from time to time, right? Because you want the soil to replenish and all that kind of good stuff. So you don't have to plant everything every year, but it's still, to still have it in use, right? Oh, exactly. And so I imagine that there would be a, a timeout uh, for unowned land. Like, right? let's just say, I mean, I don't know, to take a silly example, maybe not that silly. So some guy goes and stakes out a farm. And then has a heart attack while putting his last. I mean, does that is that now never ownable by anybody else ever for the, till the end of time? Of course not, right? So there would have to be. I mean, if he's got no heirs, he's just some guy who went out and staked a claim and then dropped dead of a heart attack on the last claim. Well, you know, that's not going to remain his because he's dead until the end of time. So there has to be some time out for un, unowned property. I think that you know that would be how it would work itself out rationally. Of course, everyone who owns land wants it to be infinite, and everyone who doesn't own lands wants it to be 10 seconds, but that's the kind of negotiation that a free society works out over time.
3: Okay, yeah, I absolutely understand. Um, And I wanted to thank you. I mean, I I think the whole thing with um, your philosophical parenting has really helped me. Um, I have... I'm uh, thrilled to hear
0: more... Sorry, I just want to mention I'm thrilled to hear about... You getting back in touch with your kids? I think that's that's great stuff. Um, I'm
3: not sure how that's you. going to work out. It's kind of complicated. Quite a um, Their mother and I split up in '95. I fought for them till I was literally homeless and broke, and um, then never heard from them except when they asked for a car. And now they're kind of emailing me tentatively, so we'll see how it works. But I think if I wasn't armed with the things that I heard about in the philosophical parenting and and having embraced the non-aggression principle i don't even though i don't know i don't know how it's going to work out i don't think i would have had a chance without right, those so glad. schools.
0: and, and I, I say to this thank parents you, for that. you know it's it's never too late parents have so much power in a relationship it's never never too late assuming everyone's still alive right it's never too late to reach out to your kids uh, if there's been problems uh, and i mean well, i can't urge people uh, strongly enough to to take those steps. So I'm, you know, incredibly thrilled. I mean, I'd say proud, but that sounds ridiculous. But <laughs> incredibly thrilled uh, that that you've done that. And I, I certainly hope that uh, you you get what you need and what they need out of that. So the more contact. Well, the better.
3: Thank, thank you. And I wanted to say, you know, that uh, the NAP and and understanding these principles does make a positive impact in people's life, and it does definitely does polarize the people around you. So.
0: Yeah, listen, I also want to just mention one thing before we move on to the next caller. Um, I'm going to guess, right, about your socialist friend or your NDP, but I repeat myself, right? So your socialist friend. One, one of the things that may be occurring is that, you know, we're, we're told by our parents or our teachers that our beliefs are morally right and good, and they're simply blindly derived from that, which is good and right and true and and all that. And it's very hard and scary in relationships to say, I think that we missed something, <laughs> Because if people say don't – they don't say believe what I believe because that's my prejudice. They say believe what I believe because it's true and it's right. And then when you redefine morality, you're putting that relationship to the test. And you're saying to the person, look, if you taught me what I believe because it was right and I have proven to you that it was wrong, you have to change your beliefs. Or you stand revealed as just a bossy hypocrite. And that's that's pretty hard. That's a hard thing in relationships to do. So that may be one reason that they're shying away from it.
3: Yeah, I'm absolutely thinking you're correct. Um, her father passed away years ago, and, and uh, it's basically she would have to redefine her relationship with him to change her beliefs. And uh, I'm 100% convinced that that's probably the issue. That you've grown up in from cradle to his grave, you've been taught that this is acceptable, this is the right way to do it. And then when someone comes along and so says something quite simple, that completely contradicts it and throws your, your entire belief system on its head, it's, I think, too much of a jump for some people to make.
0: Yeah, it is. And and uh, it is, uh, just for those who don't know, the NDP is sort of our equivalent of the Democratic Party in the US, which is basically a party that represents public sector workers. That's the, the sole reason for their existence. There was some, I don't even remember what happened to it, but there was some legal questions a while back about whether or not forced union dues could go towards political contributions, because forced association is a violation of freedom of association. Um, but yeah, the NDP is a public sector appointing. And of course, if you point out that the public Sector is driven through violence. It takes away a lot of their moral high ground, <laughs> to say the least. So it can be. Um, I,
3: when I lived in are. Ontario, they did have um, question about that for union dues, and I do remember vaguely that if you disagreed with where the union dues went, you could specify a different charity. Ah, okay. That, Good. So you could have my that understanding. from you, but, yeah. Um, just one quick last question, and then I'll be on my way and let everybody else have their little word. Um, do you think, realistically, that as the states grip on power becomes more tenuous, that being open about being an anarchist presents a threat to your personal safety? Um, and I'm, I'm thinking of you and to a degree myself and and those that I embrace as fellow anarchists.
0: It's. I mean, that's an interesting question. Obviously, something that has crossed my mind um, once or twice over the years. I. You know, I I have a lot of criticisms about Western culture, obviously, but I also have a lot of praise. I mean, Western culture, we do have a culture which allows for substantive criticism of the culture, right? I mean, we don't have like, you know, in, in certain religious texts, I mean, if you attempt to convert someone out of the religion, the penalty is death, right? I mean, that's not a very – obviously, Stalin, Stalin-esque Russia and so on was not one that was open to, to criticism, but we do have a culture in the West, largely, I think, as a result of the Greco-Roman tradition, Socratic tradition, and all of that, and um, the models of science and medicine wherein open criticism produces wonderful things, the free market, or at least the residual aspects of the free market. So we do have a culture. That does allow for criticism of the existing culture, and I mean it's it's a it's a hard haul, and there's a lot of defenses in people about that. But we do have that. If that were no longer possible, then uh, we would uh, we would have to give up, right? I mean it would be it would be done, it would be over, and that is um, you know why did the Greeks uh, the why did the Greek and the Roman empires fall? Because they killed Socrates, right I mean because they uh, warned everyone away from philosophy and that sealed their doom right it's like a, it's like the chronic drunk chasing away the last person who's ever counseling him not to drink right that just means he's now gonna die of cirrhosis or something right it's just it's done uh, we're not at that stage in the culture uh, wherein you know philosophers are being thrown in jail or, or put to death or whatever I mean obviously there are pretty heinous criticisms of of philosophers in and so on, but that you know that that's you know, criticisms we can all deal with, right? I mean it's imprisonment we we would have a tougher time with. So if the culture has gotten to the point where people are being thrown in jail for opinions, then yeah, I mean, that's it. I mean we're we're done. I, I'm not I'm certainly not ready to give up, because that is essentially to usher the world into a potentially permanent dark age, right? The dark ages of the past were limited by a lack of technology, but capitalism has now given the state and uh, controllers and and the sociopaths of political hierarchies all of the tools to maintain a near perpetual grip on the throat of the uh, of civilization, right? I mean, computers are never going to go away, and and monitoring and uh, you know all of this sort of stuff is never going to go away. So if uh, if we lose now. I think that there will be nothing left to win. Uh, I mean, uh, conceivably forever. And so uh, I'm not, you know, I think it is the last and most important fight. If we win now, then we win forever. If we lose now, we lose forever. And so I think it's enormously important. I think um, if you have the ability to do it, then do it um, because it is essential. And I'm not ready or willing to give up yet, because that would be it. That would be it for forever, I think.
3: I think you're absolutely right. I mean, I've seen some of the events in uh, New Hampshire that have been going down and it kind of, I hope it's not a bit of foreshadowing. And that aside, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to take my call and to uh, thank you for your work and wish you all the
0: best. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. And um, great call. Great call as always. All right. next. We got ourselves 36. fabulous more minutes.
2: Because we started
0: on time, time time.
2: time. Name the chat is Anjin San. So you're up
0: next. Show sure that.: Hey am I in. on?: You sure. are. How are you doing, my friend?
2: I'm doing fabulous. Thanks, Steph, and for James, also. Uh, I'm sorry my voice is a little bit shot today, and I'm a little nervous. So, but uh, It
0: sounds sultry. I like it. Sexy. Come on, belt out some cocoa, James. Anyway,
2: go on. Anyway, oh, okay. enormous thanks for the show, by the way. I've been listening for a few months, and uh, kind of intensely for four or five, I've been going through the podcast from zero through, oh, about 450 now, so...
0: Holy time travel! Good for you.
2: Yeah, <laughs> I've been really devouring it. So thanks very much. I was uh, yeah. I was a little a little disappointed at first when I was, started listening to the Sunday show that uh, there was so much psychology involved. But I, I, finally I I got it. That I mean the whole thing is psychology. That's that's the key to the whole. I mean the the mind trap that we're in, and uh, yeah, I mean starts... that sort of
0: differentiate it from the modern practice of formal psychology just by calling it self knowledge. But yeah, I, I think it is. But go on.
2: No, I absolutely agree. Um, I, the reason I'm calling is that there were there've been a couple callers in the last few weeks. I've been kind of trying to piece together something for a while, but uh, there were two callers. One, they called in talking about uh, in his childhood, you know, being pretty brutal to his brother, beating up his younger brother. And uh, some of the things going on in his family, and um, and then there was another that I think called last week. I just listened to the to last week's Sunday show on on YouTube, and um, the guy was talking about introversion. Yeah. And uh, and I thought, wow, are you guys reading my diary or something? Because piecing <laughs> the two together, I mean, it was uh, there was uh, you know, it's just a little bit a um, little bit uh, startling. But um, dysfunction,
0: dysfunction is similar. I sort of wanted to mention that just before we go on. Dysfunction is incredibly similar. There's an old quote from Tolstoy, I think, from Anna Karenina, where he says, "All happy families are alike, but all un- unhappy families are unhappy in their own way." And that is completely the opposite of the truth, in my opinion. Actually, I get this sort of borrowed this from historian Paul Johnson. Um, unhappy families are all the same, <laughs> you know, fundamentally. Yeah. Uh, whereas happiness has, uh, you know, is a thousand flowers blooming. Uh, you know, a dysfunction is just one dead rose. But anyway, sorry, go on.
2: No, I mean it was, uh, yeah, it was just like I said, it's kind of, kind of shocking. You know, talking, listening to that uh, the gentleman last week, especially talking about introversion, and uh, you know, and of course some of the 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 physio, physical things that he had going on too. You know, bad acne, which I had just horrible acne. Um, oh, you so know, sorry. That's, yeah, yeah, you name it. I mean, you know, divorced parents. Um, one other drunk. crap
0: can be thrown at me, right?
2: Oh, yeah. Oh, man. I, I heard about that test that you put out for uh, – what was it? Uh,
0: oh, the ACE uh, adverse yeah, challenge. Yeah.
2: I, I, yeah, I think I, – I, I can't remember if I had like seven or maybe more points in that. I, I can't remember offhand. But yeah, it was pretty bad. I mean, mom married
0: I don't know a, if you'd had less. You probably would be able to remember. But sorry. Go <laughs>
2: probably, on. Probably, yeah. You know,
0: trauma yeah, damages so, memory.
2: Ma-. But anyway, go on. They say that memory is the second thing to go, by the way. <laughs> I can't remember the first. But um, – but no, it was, uh, and I, then I listened to, I was doing some searches on, uh, I think in uh, the list of podcasts, you were talking about uh, about shyness, and I think you had one a while back about why you were shy, and I think you got it at least partly right. I mean, it, it, obviously a lot of the, the childhood trauma and, and people just not really giving a damn about about the real you and not knowing, you know, really much of what's going on inside and really not not concerned, just more concerned about your behavior and compliance and so forth. But uh, but there are things that that I, and I wanted to make aware for for parents, because you talk a bit about, you know, quite a bit about uh, parenting and which, of course, is the key to everything. And um, I want to make any parents out there aware that there are there are things you really should watch out for, because not only you know, nonviolent parenting, but but also aware parenting. You really have to understand what you know, pay, pay attention to your children and understand what may be going on inside based on what you're seeing outside but shyness is one of those things that people just don't get. They just because, of course, you know, the, the, the shy child really doesn't express what's going on inside very much. And uh, and of course, you know, when you when you have a shy child, it's always like, well, they'll grow out of it. And I'm
0: uh, yeah, here to sharp, tell you, it sounds a whole lot cuter than scared, which is the truth, right?
2: Yeah. Well, it, it, it's not. It's more than just just scared in, in general of uh, of uh, of interactions and of people. It, it's more specifically there was a there was a book you know, I've, I've been trying to find out more about this. Um, there was a book that I came across in college, and which is you know of course as any you know psychological treatise or study is you know damn near impossible to find anywhere else, and it's long out of print but the book was called shyness and love by uh, dr gil martin and i you might want to look into that i actually it's it was reproduced a while back on pdf i believe with the with the author's permission because there was no way it was ever going to be reprinted again it was such a limited audience but uh your your wife might want to be want to, want to look into this one too for her practice but um it it, it was a study of I, I think it was over 200 or so Men who self-reported as being very shy with women, and um, it was really it was about men more more than women because for women, of course, being shy can be overcome because in our society, men generally are expected to make the first move and do so. A shy woman can find a, a nice relationship, but for the man, I'm telling you, it's <laughs> it's it's the toughest thing that there really is for uh, for a shy man, and um, but. He was also talking about in the book that uh, you know that there are ways that if you realize that your your boy is this way, that you can help them be more comfortable with you know with uh, being around girls. I mean, you just you know, just introduce them in, in you know in non-threatening and and casual ways to you know playing with girls or whatever. You know, I, I grew up in a kind of a semi-rural area. There weren't weren't a lot of people around in the first place, and of course, not too many girls my age. So, uh, so you, you never learn to be comfortable just being yourself around girls, you know, and approaching them and, and just, just chatting. And, uh, and again, listening to that, uh, that caller from last week where he's talking about, you know, being funny, being humorous. I mean, that was kind of my crutch and it's, it's, uh, it, you look for any way that you can get approval from people. And if, and when you realize you're funny, it's like okay well i got this
0: now so you know so yeah no i mean it's the big question right in the absence of virtue why should anyone choose you as opposed to someone else well maybe you've got you know really great accidental physical attributes you know you're handsome and great hair and whatever it is you could have great physique or great natural athletic ability or whatever but and maybe that's why someone should choose you but of course that's relatively few uh, people so the question is you know when it comes to love or romance or breeding or <laughs> marriage the question is well why me why should someone choose me and if you don't have an answer to that it's really hard to make a good choice about it
2: right i mean when you look in the mirror and you know and i'm, I'm a fairly good looking guy i'm told i mean but you know when you look in the mirror and you see a pizza face looking back at you you know yeah why me yeah i'm telling you and and you know it, it lasted through my 30s and i'm, I'm 50 now and, and it's you know even now <laughs> occasionally i still get a zit so
0: but, uh, well you know that I'd like to say that helps keep you young, but that's probably not the right approach I mean, to to take with you so. and I'm so sorry that is that is a very hard thing. people who've not sort of gone through it uh, uh, just I mean it's really really it really just gives you a view of yourself that is is very different than it would have been otherwise and, and I'm sorry, really sorry about that
2: well no and I tell you you know and you realize you know you look back over the years and you realize that you were always different and never really accepted and you know i was uh, I was pretty picked on back in grade school. You know, because kids just just they realize there's something else about you. There's something different about you, and it's one of those things where you know you're really not sure yourself. You don't understand when you see someone who's comfortable around girls, for instance. You don't understand how is it done. It's like a magic trick, you know.
0: Yeah, right. You, you really right. get it. I, mean,
2: I swear to God, it's that bad. But it's um, but it's one of those. It's almost things like a,
0: that, a demon that you want exercised, right?
2: Oh God, I mean, if you could, tr- it's it's like um, I'll tell you that I've I've always understood. Gay people. I, yeah, I, I, it's one of those things where you know, because very shy men are, are sometimes mistaken for being gay. But it's one of those things where if you ask any any gay person, would you trade this? Would you be heterosexual? They'd say, "Well, hell yes." I think a lot of them. But it's one of those things where it's it's there's there's a there seems to be a lot of this that's and I'm no determinist by any chance, by any stretch, but there's there's there. Are, inborn or maybe i don't know if it's genetic or i don't know if it's hormonal you know prenatal um changes that take place so there seems to be a different brain chemistry they're finding in very shy people and it's one of those things where like i said i i've i've never had i've never had a, a, a homophobic bone in my body because i always kind of got it
0: you know yeah no I, I felt the same way i mean although i will say to gay people uh I think you got it hard, try right, being an anarchist atheist. I mean,
2: oh, at yeah. well, <laughs> least you then. all
0: have a recognizable place where you can gather. There are there are gay bars you can go to. There's uh, entire industries you can go to. There's uh, you know a recognizable culture. Uh, but um, you know we uh, we double A's. Be- you know we're uh, in a whole heap of isolation sometimes.
2: Yeah, I mean maybe yeah, shy bars. That's
0: what we need, not gay bars. <laughs> shy bars, each with its own yeah. stall, right?
2: Uh, yeah, but. Uh, but the again, the reason I'm calling is I just want you know I want parents to be aware of what uh, you know what to look out for in their kids, you know, if they, if they're if they're shy, if you see, if you have a boy, especially who's really, really shy around girls, look for that. Yeah, and you
0: got to deal with that. Like know, it's a, it's a big deal. It's a big deal to deal with it. I mean, it's almost like a learning disability, which I would, you know, you, you need to intervene. You need to intervene strongly because it's going to have a huge impact, as as you as you know, right? It's going to have a huge impact on that kid's life.
2: Yeah, it's, a, it's worse than a learning disability because you know people who are, are of low intelligence can still f- succeed marvelously in life. Whereas Sometimes with a, with a we might say man, it's better than <laughs> right with a very shy man. The one thing you really want is to be in love and, be, and to find a wonderful relationship, but you're terrified of it, you're terrified of making the first move. And you're, you know, it's just, right. I mean, I've had a few girlfriends, but, but the, the longest lasted for less than a year, and but, but and it tends to
0: having, be self reinforcing, too. I'm sorry to interrupt, but it, it tends to be awesome. self reinforcing, right.
2: Yeah. I mean, you talk about uh, it, it not just shyness around women, but, you know, general self-consciousness where, you know, you're in a situation with anyone new, with anyone you don't know, where you're, you're a little bit nervous and you realize that everyone's just staring right at you and you're sweating and then you realize you're sweating and that makes you sweat more. I mean, it just it's it, it's a it's a whole snowball. And oh, it's yeah, so yeah. tough to break.
0: Yeah. And it's you know, it's like trying to roll an avalanche back uphill sometimes. Right.
2: Man, and I'm telling you, I mean, it, like I said, if I could flip a switch, yeah, I oh, would, yeah, there are a lot of things I'd trade to be to be not that way. But I'm telling you what, that uh, <laughs> it's uh, it's a disability.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and of course, uh, as far as I understand it, in the DSM five, the right, the handbook of psychiatry, uh, mm. it's about to become pathologized too, right? Something oh, to medicate no social anxiety disorder.
2: Wow. Yeah, that's just
0: sick. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely not. I don't obviously don't know, but I don't think it's much to do with the drugging people to make them better or whatever.
2: Yeah, I mean, I remember uh, I, I I applied for a job at one point where there was the uh, what was it the MMPI? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. The, the the psychological profile, and you know, a lot of these these questions, you realize when you're reading them, it's like, if I answer this way, they're gonna know I'm just <laughs> absolutely introverted. And that's not what they're looking for you know so you're trying to think well how would a normal person answer this if I were a humanoid right 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 yeah but uh, but yeah again I, I just I just wanted to bring that up and and, and I was yeah like I guess I've been searching the boards and, and so forth for uh, for any real real in-depth talk about this but uh, but like I said you, you, you kind of got it you got part of it at least but there's there's a, there's the, the, the deeper part I think, is not just societal. It's it's there's a there's a predisposition for this that's built in. That if you work at it and if you have people help you out of it, there's a way out. But
0: yeah, and this definitely is. You know, it, you know the, the one thing I would say to parents is, i been mean, about this issue, and you know, let me know if I'm off base here, but
2: hmm.
0: you know, just they'll grow out of it. It's kind of a cop out.
2: Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, as, and especially, you know, in, in my, my upbringing, you know, our parents divorced. Uh, mother worked all day. You know, we lived it, basically lived at our grandparents' business, which is where my mom worked. I mean, they were around, but but largely unsupervised. And of course, no one really,
0: you know. Yeah, so how the hell are you supposed to learn how to socialize? It's like yeah. expecting you to know Mandarin if you never know Mandarin. I mean, That's you're exposed it. to any Mandarin, right?
2: And your only neighbors are boys, and you know, and you have plenty of fun, but you can you know, but but there's no girls that you can ever really learn to to interact with. And it's it's just
0: horrible. Oh,
2: did we lose you? I just wanted to, to, to maybe broach the subject, maybe for people to talk about uh, some more. But um, but yeah, just just parents, just be on the lookout. Look for that book. Again, it's called Shyness and Love, and I believe you can just download it now. And uh, it really is uh, an eye-opener. Me and I reading this book, I mean, it wasn't 100% me, but boy, I'd listen to the story.
0: All right. Well, listen, thanks. Do you mind if we move on to the next caller? Yeah, please. go ahead. Thanks in. again,
2: and I'll let you guys go.
0: Yeah, and thanks, thanks for sharing. I really do appreciate that. Uh, it, does, uh, it does get some real good if other people hear this and act, so thank you. All right, we have a next caller. Uh, go ahead, my friend. Yes, uh, sorry. Uh, we have two, actually, Thomas and Gerard. Thomas, you're first. And oh, then right, but you must both nice. talk at the same time because I love me a challenge. One in each year. Sorry, go ahead. Hey, can you hear me? You're on, brother.
7: Okay, okay. Awesome. My internet went down and it was down for like one and a half hours. But apparently
0: <laughs> Well, we just finished so, talking about you, so now is a good time. Okay, good. Um,
7: well, let's talk about you, PB. Let's talk about you and me. <laughs>
0: Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that can be. Exactly,
7: exactly. Okay, I um, I worked on this for a bit, and I think it's an amazing book. It's an amazing theory, and I want to come with my contribution.
0: I think. Thanks, and you know what's great about it, and what I love the most about it—that font is beautiful. I actually spent more time picking the font than writing the book, and nobody's commented on it. I just really wanted to mention that. That font, uh, I could make slow sweet love to it for a Sunday afternoon, but I have the show to do, so I can't. But please, go on. Okay. Okay.
7: Um, so, I wrote something down that I want to share with you. The reason that I think um, your proof is insufficient is that does not prove that um, there is a universal relationship between preferred behaviors. Let me um, put it up mathematically. Um, Let's say we have x, the argument or the priory, and y, the instance of preferred behavior in question, and set all instances of preferred behavior. Um, If x, then y, but how do we know that y is the whole set of x? So if the argument. That, that, that you engage in the argument, right? Um, then why, which is instance of preferred behavior in question, which is if you engage in an argument, in an argument, then you show that you prefer truth over falsehood. Um, but how
0: do you uh, know? Yeah. Go ahead. That's a bit closer to argumentation ethics. It's a little. But but go on. Let's let's keep going with that. Okay.
7: Let's try. Um, um, but how do we know that? Um, the preference for, for truth is the whole set of, um, of all instances of that preferred behavior.
0: Well, can you give me an example of the difference between the two? So give me one that would be that and one which would not be that, just to make sure I understand your approach, if you don't mind.
7: I don't, I don't have a, a proof for universally preferred behavior.
0: No, no, sorry. I'm not saying a proof, but can you give me an example of behavior claims that would be universal versus those that wouldn't be? Well,
7: I think the question that I see is that you can't really make a statement that is um, universal. But you can make one that is
0: uh, logically consistent in this instance. I'm sorry, whoever's typing, if you could just mute yourself. Okay, but let me, again, this is hard stuff to talk about, so forgive me if I thrash around a little trying to really understand your position. It doesn't mean that I think it's it's not correct. Obviously, I just want to make sure I really get it. So if I was teaching a math class and I said to you, two and two make four, and then I said to the person sitting next to you, but not for you, Only, only for this guy, not for the person sitting next to him, that would be a strange thing, right? Why would that be? Why would that be strange? Um,
7: because we we assume that mathematical um, propositions are true for for the whole set of y uh, of of set.
0: Yeah, it's universal, right? Yes. But you. Have okay, so prepared. we have we have at least an example of something two and two make four, that is universal, which is why I can't say to one person it's true and to another person it's not true for you. Exactly. You got now, it. I can say your name is Bob, and then to the woman next to you, assuming she's not named Bob, but not yours. And that's right, because Bob is not a universal claim of yes. knowledge, right? Okay. Yes. Okay. All right. So um, so that's – I mean that's certainly important. The reason, of course, that it's – if I say to you two and two make four, I'm saying it's a fact, it's true, it's universal, and you are bound to it or bound by it, Right. If you wish to say anything true, you can say two and two make five, but you're no longer speaking mathematical truth, right? Exactly. You got it. Okay. So, uh, so if I'm a math teacher and I'm claiming to instruct people on math, I cannot create arbitrary distinctions, right?
7: No, that's
0: true. Okay. Uh, so, and so if I say to somebody, "X is universally preferable behavior," then yes. I cannot create arbitrary exceptions because then I have broken the universality, right? Yes. So if I say truth is better than falsehood, and it's not 5% better than falsehood, right? (laughs) It's not like if you flip a coin, you know, six times out of ten, it would be better than falsehood. It is always 150% better than falsehood. Like two and two make three is not half right, right? It's just wrong. Completely right. Uh, Yes, it's completely wrong. (laughs) And two two make four is not 10% better than two and two make five, right? Yes.
7: But aren't you supposed to, to prove it? Aren't you supposed to prove that this instance is applicable for for all instances?
0: Well, no, not if I'm making the claim that it is, right? So if I say 2 and 2 make 4, that is a universal claim that everyone who wishes to achieve mathematical accuracy must submit to. I'm making that claim by saying 2 and 2 is 4, equals 4, not pistachio and butternut ice cream is really good together, I think, that's not a universal claim. That's a statement of personal preference, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. so if I'm saying two and two are four, two and two equal four, then I'm making a universal claim. And I'm saying I – that mean there's a whole lot that's embedded in that universal claim. Empiricism, uh, logic, um, truth is better than falsehood, uh, universality, all of that sort of buried in the statement two and two make four. Yeah. And I, so – have- sorry, go ahead.
7: I have a question, though. I think I understand where you're coming from. Um, the thing is that in mathematics, right, you, you don't really deal with universalities that much. You don't really, because universality universal, means that it's true for all places, at all times, in all instances, right?
0: And you. Okay. Well, certainly all the mathematics that I learned up until grade 12 were universals.
7: Yeah, but for instance, if we have arithmetics, right? There are stuff in mathematics that are outside the realm of arithmetics, like complex numbers, for instance. So I think it's, it's very hard to, to, to say that it's like math, because in math, you have a, a lot of theory that, that doesn't have those dimensions that, that you talk about, which is universality.
0: Well, can they, marked, can they be marked correct or incorrect on an exam? Sure. Well, then they're universal. I mean, they have to be. Otherwise, you can't mark things correct or incorrect, right? Okay. So, I mean, just sort of give you an example, right? Let's say that you and I, we'll take it out of the realm of math, right? And just say you and I yeah, uh, hand Yeah, that be good. <laughs> yeah, we, we hand in a, 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 an essay on, on Jane Austen, right? And we are cheating scumbags and <laughs> we, uh, we, we hand in the same essay, right? Okay. And the same teacher – gives one of us an A+, and one of us, for exactly the same essay, a fail. Okay. Right? This would be an example of bad teaching, right?
7: Yeah.
0: Uh, Because, right, the the mark is is somewhat objective. It has to be somewhat objective. Otherwise, you you would just have a random mark generator, mark everything, right?
7: It feels like that sometimes, but go on. Yeah,
0: I know. Or if you and I spell the word... uh, Totalitarianism, uh, and and we both spell it the same way, but one teacher says you spelt it correctly, and one teacher says you spelt it incorrectly. We would know that there would need to be a way to resolve that that wouldn't just be, it's half, let's you know, split the middle, it's half correct, right? Sure, sure. Because spelling makes claims to universality. This is how the word is spelled. Now, if you said to someone, spell how this word sounds to you, then there would be some gray area, right? Yeah. I mean, put four Ms and a silent Q together with an exclamation mark and a wet fart noise, you're not going to (laughs) get anything other than data-esque poetry. But uh, there has to be some level of objectivity. And so – and of course, biologists argue about particular classifications of particular species from time to time. But where claims to objectivity, to universality are made, then there are a number of assumptions buried within those claims. And the person cannot then create arbitrary – Distinctions within those within their claims, and then they're switching from truth to perspective or opinion or whatever, right? Yeah, yeah. So, if I say something is true, it has to be universal, and if you also say that you accept the methodology by which things become universal, reason and evidence, I would say, then if the reason and evidence confirm the truth of that, then you have to change your opinion to that which is true according to reason and evidence, or you have to abandon reason and evidence as the standard of truth, right?
7: Um,
0: yes,
4: I have. Right. So
0: I, I mean, have... and this is, this is an important distinction, right? Because some people will say, if you take them through the logical disproofs of God, they'll say, well, it's faith. It's yeah. okay. So then they say, well, it's true that according to reason and evidence, there's no such thing as gods, but I'm going to choose to believe in those gods because... Uh, I reject reason and evidence.
7: Um, the thing I, I I read a bit about the scientific method before um, planning to to do this this talk, and I couldn't find anywhere that it claimed to be universal. It only said that it probably were, like, I don't know. Um, would I don't know? You 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 take over the mic for a bit.
0: Well, I mean, uh, I'm you know no expert on it, it isn't just that it, 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 method, oh. but um, I certainly have read statements from scientists who say anybody who doubts the objectivity of science should attempt to jump off my balcony window and fly, right? <laughs> I mean, the, these are scientists who get uh, not with you, but impatient with you know the, the Deepak Chopras who misuse the word quantum to mean. Mystical, right? Which is not what yes. quantum means. Um, but the scientific method will absolutely and totally reject theories which are contradicted by physical evidence, right? Yes. So how do we know that fusion in a jar didn't work? Because fusion in a, was an incorrect theory. is because it didn't work, right? And why, why did we replace the Ptolemaic system of astronomy with the Copernican system of astronomy, which then was Newtonian, which then was Einsteinian? Because right each of those previous theories was contradicted by particular points of refined evidence right sure sure so uh, so yes there is uh, a science attempts to describe that which is measurable that which is perceivable uh, outside the mind uh, i guess some aspects of science is within the mind but it still has to be empirical uh, and so it, because it is attempting to describe that which is objective it is measured by its objectivity, by the degree to which it accurately measures that which is objective, is that a fair thing to say?
7: Sure. Um, I'm sorry for for pulling the
0: relativist card. I really hate it. Um, no, it's fine. No, look. I mean, if if I've misunderstood something fundamental about the scientific method, that's important because I use science <laughs> as a metaphor. Sure. But but even if we abandon the scientific method, because morality is only secondarily concerned with empiricism, morality. And I would say this is true of science. Science is only secondarily concerned with empiricism. Science fundamentally is concerned with logical consistency. Yeah,
7: yeah. Because obviously. the
0: theory has to be logically consistent in order for it to just accurately describe reality. Uh, and again, I'm just talking about sense data, not necessarily subatomic, whatever, whatever, right? Because that doesn't have anything to do with morality or philosophy. There's no, like, <laughs> if some guy gets gets uh, asphyxiated in a room that I'm in, I'm assumed to have killed him. Now I could say, well, no, all the oxygen went to the top of the room because the random Brownian motion produced a perfect vacuum in the bottom half of the room. Also, it's possible, but nobody would ever accept that as a defense, right?
7: Okay, then, then I have a question. Can you, can you then prove that UPB is in fact universal?
0: But you see, that's the beauty of UPB is your desire for proof is itself UPB.
7: Sure, um, it's UPB in this instance. Can you prove that it is in all instances?
0: Well, your desire for it to be proven in all instances is UPB because you're saying it has to be universal. So you've already accepted it.
2: The Could moment you, you ex- say proof, the moment it? you say
0: all, the moment you say true, uh, then you've already – these are UPB terms because you're saying that there's an external universal standard that UPB must conform to in order to be true. But that wow. itself is UPB.
7: That is, that
0: is smart. That is really, really hard. <laughs> <laughs> I like to think it's cunning and and profitable. No, <laughs> profitable. <laughs> it's a free book. But but you do you see what I'm saying? You you're, oh you're using these terms. I'm not saying this for you. You got it. But just for other people who it's it's trippy, right? And it's tricky because you have to look. It's like self knowledge. You have to look at what you're doing, not afterwards, right? You have to look at what you're doing in the moment, and. If you are asserting truth or proof or universality or always or in all circumstances, that is UPP.
7: Um, I, I feel like I feel like a mouse with a whole in the middle of a whole um, floor of, of mouse traps, and, and no matter how, how I put it, I'm I, I just end mean, I'm, not <laughs> I'm not trying to drink.
0: I'm not no, trying to I'm not trying to win, honestly. The, the only, if you have a greater point or a better point, I'm happy to... If you win, we all win, right? But, the, I mean, I've been doing this for 20 years, so I've got some moves. That doesn't mean that I'm right <laughs> or anything like that. I, I really appreciate. These are great, great questions. But, I mean, these would be my, my answers.
7: Okay. Um... Well, I can't think of anything smart to say right now. So thank you. Thank you so much.
0: Boy, you know, if that were my standard, can you imagine how much fewer podcasts there would be? Anyway, <laughs> let's not necessarily go there right now. But no, those are great, great questions. Thank you. And, you know, when you come up with more objections, please throw them, throw them, throw them, throw them. I mean, this is a theory that really needs to be correct. I will. I will. Thank you. See ya. Thanks, man. And we had, uh, I think we have time for. Uno von Moore. Yeah,
5: Gerard. Yes. Hello. Hello. Yes. Hello, Stefan. First time I'm I'm calling you. I'm a bit nervous. I'm sorry. I'm calling you from Paris, France.
0: Ah, Paris, France. I uh, actually know most about Paris from the movie Ratatouille. But uh, actually, no, I've been to Paris. But, uh, anyway.
5: <laughs> okay. Well, you were you're welcome. Anyway. Uh, I, I just had a quick question about. Um, about uh, you know sometimes well quite often you you speak about um, the way there is um, some form of, uh, of freedom and respect to the personhood within the private sphere and uh, at some point when the group becomes uh, bigger uh, the majority rule uh, kicks in so uh, my question is very short. Uh, where do you put the the limit? I mean, where does the, the shift take place between the private the private sphere, with uh, we, we, that gives liberty to to, to the person, and uh, where does it shift towards the majority rule and and the, and the coercion? That's, That's my question. That's a great
0: question. Yeah. That's a great question. Do you have um, do you have an easier one? <laughs> I, I, you French people with your postmodern and your
5: derida and all—it's got to be so hard, eh? I, I have another one. Another one about money. No, 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 no. It's harder Please, because it's hard enough.
0: Okay, okay. Because that's a hard question.
5: Um, all right. Life is shit. It's a matter. It's a, it's a matter of scale, most certainly. But I, I, I don't have the answer myself.
0: Right. I, I, I right. don't know. I don't have a clue. Who put the Ramaling in the Ramalamaling? Well, no, it's yeah. a great question. So the question is um, they're just I'm going to try and reframe it in a way that's Go, yeah. easier for me.
5: In better English,
0: anyway. <laughs> no, no. Listen, please let's not switch to French because I had to learn some <laughs> French for my master's and it was really not a pretty thing. But your oh. last name is Molyneux. How hard could this be? Well, uh, let me show you how hard it can be. I know yeah. 13 computer languages, English, and the language of love, but that's it. Oh, I can only do man. fourteen. Good, good man. Manager, so <laughs> so um okay. so the question is, so uh, this is sort of the, the difference between, Everyday anarchy and practical anarchy, right? So in, in everyday anarchy, we, we desperately want uh, our yeah. choices to be non-interfered with, to be free, to be voluntary, like who we marry and where we go to school and which job mm-hmm. we take. And that this is we, – we want this. And yeah. then, boik, right? We, it flips around Yes. when we get to society, right? And yeah. so your question is, uh, how many people?
5: Yeah, or when does that happen or how come that happens uh, at all?
0: right. Right. Well, I mean, the the answer that I don't have a you know obviously a a, a, a provable answer because it's uh, it's a grey area, but uh, I, I will say this. So, the the sphere that we like to have freedom in is the sphere which has a number of characteristics. One of those characteristics is there are consequences. There are actual practical, immediate consequences to a lack of freedom.
4: Yeah. Right? right. So,
0: so, you know, if, if we're not allowed to choose who we want to marry, that has immediate consequences to, to our lives. Right. Yeah. And if we're no longer allowed to choose where we work, I mean, these are immediate negative consequences to us. Right.
5: Hmm.
0: Whereas, uh, if we get the government to give us a subsidy, Yes. or to ban competition or whatever, right, to to give us a monopoly, then – I mean, this I guess this has also immediate consequences that are positive, but the negative consequences mm-hmm. are very diffused. Mm-hmm. And if you're early enough in the cycle of statism, they're not just diffused horizontally through the population. In a sense, they're diffused vertically through time, right, mm-hmm. because you're going to make a whole lot of money and it's going to be two or three generations down the road that's so going to get hit with the debt, right? Mm-hmm are going to get hit with paying off the debt mm-hmm. so I mean this is utilitarianism always leads to statism because utilitarianism cares only about effects and not principles and so the, the, the effects of statism are always positive in mm-hmm. the short run to almost everyone involved mm. um, so you know for instance uh, as I mentioned before If you socialize a free market healthcare system, everybody makes out like bandits Mm -hmm. because nobody's taxes really go up because you borrow the money. And so you basically get free healthcare and you get all of the discipline of the doctors who've grown up and are working in a free market system. Mm -hmm. So it's like fantastic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean how cool was it for the engineers to work on the Apollo missions? I mean, dude, I'm not just building some sucky bridge in Madison County. I'm going to the moon. I mean, how cool is that, right? It's amazing. Uh So in the short run, statism is great for almost everyone. And the people who it's not great for, they don't even know what happened, right? Uh Right, so I mean, um, somebody like, so let's say doctors get to ban other healthcare providers well they make out like bandits and everyone who follows makes out like bandits Um, some people obviously have to adjust and lose some money because they no longer have a particular license but what happens is a whole bunch of people choose not to go into medicine if they're not going to be doctors because they're not allowed to and so those people, in a sense, they don't even get that there's a profession that's missing that they could have had. And all of the people who end up paying a lot more for healthcare, they don't really get to compare it to another situation where there was no monopoly provided and the free market kept prices down, and, right? So, so the moment you have a state, the moment that you – like you basically have a situation where you do not have to pay for evil, Right? That's what I've always called the state it's it's a big coupon you like in the middle of your Sunday supplement, and you know you can get half off potato chips and here's an extra hunk of meat for buying two more hunks of meat and by the way, free evil as well and so you don't have to pay for the immorality you don't have to pay for the coercion i mean obviously to enforce these things everyone's taxes go up, so in that sense but but if you get if you benefit from a m- monopoly your wages go up, your profits go up far more than your taxes that that are required to sustain and enforce the monopoly. Uh, otherwise, people wouldn't wouldn't pursue it, right? I mean, if I said uh, to a farmer, you'll get $100,000 in farm subsidies, but you'll have to spend $200,000 lobbying, he'd say, well, thanks. No, thanks. <laughs> I think I'll just go and start a pharmaceutical company instead. So, so I think that um, it's when you have, I mean, the socialization of risk and the privatization of profit is really what the the state is all about. So I think that it generally shifts when you can socialize anonymously, right? So in a small tribe, you can't really do this stuff too well because the people who are harmed, you actually have a personal relationship with, right? So if, um, I don't know, if I'm some competing witch doctor and I try and get the chief to pass a law banning the other witch doctor, well, he's a guy I grew up with, right? Mm -hmm. Right. He knows where I live. Uh, and you know there's sort of personal repercussions to that, right? Whereas the victims of statehood are almost always anonymous and diffused and and they can't trace it back to the actual cause and you know all that kind of crap. So uh, its certainly when society gets big enough, then there's that that sort of inversal of morality occurs. Uh, but I don't think it happens it can really happen without a state. I mean, as we talked about earlier about eBay, eBay's got three hundred thousand people. But your reputation still matters, right? So if you go around and, and you start mocking down your competitors and complaining that they didn't ship you stuff and all of that, I mean, people don't do that because it's very risky, right? Whereas if you could do that with impunity and get paid for doing it, right, then more people would do it. But it's a lot more risky uh, to do that stuff um, uh, in, in a situation Even though there's 300,000 people or more on eBay Who are selling and millions more buying If you do that, if you pull that kind of crap It's really risky I mean, if anyone finds out, I mean, you're, you're toast I mean, you're just yeah. never going to be allowed anywhere near the place again And so people don't uh, generally yeah. do that It's the same reason why companies don't go You know, if, if they see uh, an SEO ad From some other company um, A Google ad, they don't click on it You know, they, they don't pay some guy five bucks an hour To click on those ads Hmm. a thousand times a day to cost the other company a couple of grand every day right Hmm. because that's kind of traceable and and of course it's if they do that and they sort of become known for doing that then that'll get out it'll become public they'll be viewed as kind of scumbags and other people may retaliate and you know just in general it would be a pretty risky thing to do which is why companies don't do that although of course if you were an anarchist suggesting this is how you say oh well your competitors would just click on that and cost you all this money it would never work right (laughs) because you can say no to anything but um uh yeah so I think that when it becomes anonymous, the risks for the inversal of morality go up, but in particular when it becomes government based uh then i mean it becomes inescapable i think does that does that help at all
5: yeah it does. It does, yeah. It's exactly. I <laughs> like your surprise. You know, it, it actually does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No I but can't it, believe it. it. It makes no. It, it makes very very good sense. I've been thinking a lot while while listening to you talking, of, of course, and uh, it reminded me of. Uh, I spent two years in Ireland, and uh, in Galway, in the west of Ireland, and uh, it's 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 a small country, relatively to, to the United States or even to France or uh, or a European country, and in Ireland it's very funny because. Um, you always have this impression, this feeling that you could uh, you could meet someone that you know anywhere anywhere yeah. within ireland you, you have the feeling that you can meet anyone you know or or you can meet anyone who knows someone you know you see yeah, yeah. and uh, and i was uh, i always wondered why there is uh, less uh, crime and uh, and i don't know about the government in ireland but uh, i don't think it's a huge government and so maybe when when people have the impression or when people Really do know each other better than when there is when there is less anonymity. Uh, probably, probably things things get freer and uh, and clearer. I, 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 right, so, and of so, course you so, have so,
0: lots of people who don't know each other on eBay, but there's no anonymity because you're you know exactly. you're you've got a login, you've got a public storefront or something, right?
5: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So that would tend to prove that anonymity uh, in in some part anonymity is the problem is part of the problem.
0: Uh, right, and, 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 but by anonymity, we mean statism. Yeah. I mean that yeah, be my but, argument.
5: But yeah, yeah sure. and the re- Sorry, the reason I say that
0: is because anonymity is so destructive to virtue, you wouldn't have it in a free market you'd, or at least you'd have very little of it.
5: Of course, uh, uh, governing without uh, taking any risk of retaliation is it's it's the best for uh, for a crook or for uh, for a criminal. Well, and
0: of course, corporations, right? Where you and can screw yeah. a corporation and you can blow it up, and it, you you can still keep all the money you made from it, right?
5: Sure, but I think it's in general, generally speaking, uh, or or maybe uh, maybe even uh, uh, UPB speaking. I think uh, I think it's a good uh, it's a good start I will, I, I've always been thinking about when you drive you know when you drive how come people become like wild and and much much meaner when they are behind a wheel in a car uh, if, if people could see each other in in the eye and and talk to each other, I don't know, with a with a public address system from car to car, I don't think there would be so much uh, meanness when you drive. And I think the, well, the I mean, meanness and, uh, comes from... Just, just think from,
0: of, uh, sorry to interrupt, but just I mean, think of the internet, right? We all know the, exactly. the, the internet courage, right? Hey, you're a stupid jerk, you should, you know, uh, you Same should thing. eat your mother's shoes for breakfast and blah, blah, blah. Same I mean, thing. people who would never say that across and, the table from someone else, particularly if that someone else happened to be sort of larger, um, so yeah. I mean, anonymity and and neg- n- no repercussions is um, definitely is is a breeding ground. It's like, uh, you know, it's like uh, uh, putting uh, shit in the sunlight in a flystorm. You know, I mean, it just it's going to attract and feed.
5: Yeah, that's the whole difference between well, all, all things uh, all things considered, between mm-hmm. uh, Facebook and YouTube, for instance. Uh, you've got much right, less right. Uh, much less uh, trolling on on Facebook than on YouTube.
0: Right, right. Yeah, cuz I mean even though there's you could sort of come up with anonymity, it's a lot harder to there's a lot more effort to, to doing it on Facebook. You got to create a fake account and blah blah blah, right?
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. So so well good. Let's let's get to know each other better to to make a yes. better a better place in the world.
0: Absolutely, and let's uh, try and dismantle the institutions that provide free free anonymous evil yeah. uh, because that's only going to breed uh, that kind of corruption.
5: Yeah. Agreed totally.
0: All right. Did we have one? Uh, sorry, I've got a, that's a great question, and um, I really appreciate that uh, shout-out from across the pond. <laughs> and um, next time we will do it in Esperanto. But uh, okay. <laughs> if you would like to uh, – James, do we have anyone else who was uh, maybe hanging on the line or had a question in the, in the chat room that um, we, can, uh, we can do?
5: Okay, no problem. Thank, thank you very much, Stefan. Thank you very much.
0: Bye. Oh, we did have somebody asking a question. I think it might be one that you might want to get them on – the call – I'm not sure if he was looking to get on the call. Um, it was about the statism and uh, his personal experience with statism. Uh, oh, yeah. Statists. I got one here. Uh, hi, Steph. Question. Uh, the statists in my life. Do not openly say they want me thrown in jail. What they do is avoid talking about the gun in the room. They're mainly fog or they're evasive. They laugh at me or think I'm foolish because the state isn't really so violent. Therefore, I don't know how they really feel about me disagreeing with them. And it is obviously uncomfortable if I keep bringing up the question. I am stuck. What do you think? Well, I think that's the entire purpose of avoidance: is to put you in a situation where somehow the problem becomes yours. Um, There is, um, you know, if if I'm avoiding something that is obvious, that is something I'm morally responsible for. And so you can, of course, not bring these topics uh, up with them anymore, and you know, you can have a relationship that doesn't involve these. These issues—that's obviously, of it's perfectly, perfectly possible. But the fact that you are pointing out some the consequences of their beliefs, and they are avoiding talking about the consequences of those beliefs means that they're fully aware of of, of what they believe and what it results in. I mean, they're fully—you can make your choices whatever you want based upon that. But they're not—they're no longer innocent, right? This is why people really avoid moral arguments because with morality comes. Responsibility And people can exist in a state of nature, and I think justly so. They can exist in a state of nature before they get the moral understanding. But the moment they have the moral understanding, the heavy weight and wings of moral responsibility land on their shoulders, and they can be crushed or they can fly. And unfortunately, all too many people choose the crushing bit. But they are more morally responsible once they know. And the fact that they're avoiding is because... It's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy. They say, well, basically I think what they're saying is I don't want to accept this truth because it's going to put me in direct conflict with those around me. I don't want this it's dangerous, it's bad, it's a problem. So I don't want it. And, of course, by rejecting you, they are only reinforcing their opinion that morality and virtue leads to being rejected. And so it, be, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy, which is not to say it isn't entirely self-fulfilling because I mean certainly they will face rejection if they pursue truth but um, I think it is important to, to recognize that it's got nothing to do with you you understand it's got nothing to do with you and it doesn't even really have much to do with the argument right this is something that I'll, I can't say often enough although I try right when you're talking philosophy with people their responses have nothing to do with you and almost nothing to do with the argument people's responses to philosophy are almost entirely based upon what they know or believe philosophy is going to do to their relationships, right? This is why it's so important to talk about self-knowledge rather than merely making rational arguments. People are evaluating your philosophical arguments based upon the effect that those philosophical arguments are going to have on their relationships, We are social animals first and foremost. We only have rationality thrown in. Sometimes it feels almost like an appendix, which most people want to get out (laughs) as soon as they can. But this is how you must look at these things. And I say this with emphasis. You must look at these things this way. Because it is the only explanation that fits all of the available evidence. Why? Something as simple as taxation is theft, the state is a monopoly of violence. This is something which is so easy to understand, it is so obvious, it is so logical, and it is so much a part of everyone's direct experience of living in the world and being a subject of politics or being a political serf. That to not see it would be as confusing as an elephant stampeding towards you on (laughs) – a, in a, in a desert, and you point into your companion and saying, "'Oh my goodness, we better step out of the way of that elephant and the guy says, "What elephant? I mean that would be incomprehensible, assuming he's not blind and deaf or whatever, right? But the only explanation that fits all of the available evidence is that people are evaluating philosophy based upon its effect upon their relationships. So don't own other people's responses you give you introduce philosophy to them if they run screaming or scorn or attack it is simply because they get that it is going to go like a cannonball through the fragile dew-drenched spider webs of their existing relationships and leave a big gaping hole called the truth and they quail and fear that result and that's perfectly fine i mean that's you know everybody's choice to make but that is what is happening So do not allow yourself to be drawn into a feeling of helplessness. It is not your helplessness that is actually occurring in the relationship. It's the helplessness of other people who get that if they bring virtue and truth to their relationships, their relationships will evaporate. And in order to avoid that, they scorn you. And in order to reject that knowledge in themselves, they reject the knowledge they're receiving from you. It has nothing to do with you. It is their relationship and the tenuousness and fragility of those relationships. So I hope that that helps. I really appreciate everybody's time. It's been a wonderful Sunday show, as always. It is an absolute highlight of my week to be able to speak with you wonderful people. Freedomaidradio.com forward slash donate. Um, I'm going to be, of course, in Odessa, Texas, uh, coming up soon. And uh, I'm also going to be in Vancouver in July. So if you would like to come uh, and see me, I would be absolutely happy to Uh, press the flesh, kiss the babies. No, kiss the fresh, press the babies. Ah, There's a reason I didn't go into politics. But thank you everybody so much. Have yourselves a wonderful, wonderful week. Freedomainradio.com forward slash donate if you would like to help out. And I will talk to you soon.